JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. And here we go. I should have stayed home and played with myself. What do you like to do? Oh, I don't know. Play chess? Screw. Well, let's play chess. The Indianapolis Colts select Anthony Richardson. Richardson going to take off and run. He's in there. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. The first career touchdown. Here's Halliburton into the front court. Mishandled it, but gets a shot. Hits it. Hits it. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You know, honestly, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't think anybody does. But with what we got in the Wardgenorowski news category a little bit earlier today regarding Tyrese Halliburton and that being a strain, and they'll take a look at that coming up in about two weeks, and then ultimately... Do not feel that it is going to be um, something severe. Last night, I don't know about you, and I don't know, maybe it is just where we have been. Somebody had said, I think it was Don from Shelbyville, had said, hey, I think you got to stop with all this, you know, jinked, uh, jinxed bad karma stuff. It makes you sound bad. It makes us sound bad. Just comes down to winning and losing. But this wasn't about winning and losing. It was about somebody being injured. And the reason being, you have a history in seeing that take place. Not once, but twice. Actually, if you want to talk about football, twice more. You go back to Oladipo. You go back to Paul George. I hate to use this, but it just does seem like whenever something around here evolves into or is created to be something nice sports-wise, it, it something happens to it. Something happens to it. And I feared the worst last night. I feared the worst. Like I was hoping, I don't know about anybody else, when he was getting carried off, that was Tyrese Halliburton last night in the first half, getting carried off um, after basically sliding on the floor, uh, doing the splits. Uh, and we have talked about whether or not it was his shoes or the slick floor. We remember when they went with the uh, the whole in-season tournament stuff, that floor a couple of different times players fell. Buddy healed once. 
and you were concerned about that. I don't know what it was. That was like the second time he is uh, he did slip and fall in that game last night. But my first thought when I saw them carrying him off, I, I was actually I was walking in. I was listening to the broadcast here and Mark. And then I was walking in when I turned the TV on to watch it on Bally, and I saw them carrying him off. My first thought was, and I don't want it to be anybody, so don't take it that way. But they had, you know, the towels over him. Buddy and TJ McConnell put towels over him. And James Johnson and Buddy, they were carrying him off. And my my first thought was, because I didn't see I didn't see the play. I just had turned the TV on, and my first thought was, don't be Halliburton, don't be Halliburton. I didn't want it to be anybody, but I was, don't be Halliburton, don't be Halliburton. And then you see the back of the jersey, and it was Halliburton. And and one of my initial thoughts was, I know that everybody made fun of it, but I hope that this is going to be like one, one of those situations like Paul Pierce years ago. Remember? With the wheelchair wheeled off the floor, and it didn't turn out to be as bad as that. And I know a lot of people had made jokes about that over the years, but I didn't care. I didn't care. And and this is for you. This is certainly for the Pacer fans out there. This guy is cobbling together an incredible season. I mean, really around here, one for the ages. And you can tell, you saw it a year ago when he was out, and obviously they're winning, and those playoff thoughts that we had, it got flushed right down the toilet. He is the straw that stirs it. He makes everybody better. And I will get to the gutty effort last night, too, which was impressive and led by friend of this show, T.J. McConnell. It starts right there. But Halliburton, you, you just you want to see him be able to dictate his terms and not be hobbled from it and not have it hijacked, for example, as it was for him a year ago. He has set such a high bar with himself, his teammates. And this fan base, and there's not a thing wrong with it because he reaches it. And the one thing that has concerned everybody, because you're always going to have that in the back of your mind, whether it was the end of the career of Manning or the whole luck saga on injuries, or as I mentioned previously, Paul George or Victor Oladipo, you're right. In recent history, in the past 10 years, it does always seem like it's something. And you don't want that to take it away. So I don't know if it is going to be a straight-up two weeks. I don't know how long it's going to be. If it's longer, if it's shorter, that would be great. But it does seem on the surface that it was a hell of a lot better than what we thought when he was being carried off the floor last night. I immediately get a call from my mom. My mom goes, ah! Because my mom's been through it. I say this to Denary and to Jeremiah Johnson all the time. Like my mom's a huge Pacer fan. 
It's the reason why she has direct TV, and she hates me for that, too, by the way. That is the only redeeming quality that she has direct TV about. She can't handle, you guys are always telling me, well, have her do this. <laughs> have her do this and get 19 passwords and log on to this. And I said, you know what? She lives way, there are a lot of trees. And I know that they're supposed to have 4K and maybe 5K. I don't know if they have 1K where I grew up and where she is. But, yeah, she calls, and she's just freaked out about Halliburton. And I go, hey, yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to calm her down. But at the same time, I'm also wondering, because, again, we've been down this path before. So I will tell you this, that news from Adrian Wojnarowski a little bit earlier today, I don't know what, uh, if any, other than making you feel better right now, you can take away from it. But honestly, that was going to be enough for me. I absolutely feared the worst. It is called a grade one left hamstring strain. And that was revealed through an MRI earlier today. Reevaluated in around two weeks. And obviously, uh, the Pacers, after tomorrow night against the Wizards here, embark on a lengthy western road swing that starts in Atlanta, of all places. But they go to, I think, Denver. What, Denver on a Sunday afternoon at 3, and then Utah on a Monday night at 9. That is, And that is, the NBA players will tell you, there is no more difficult two-step than to go from either Denver to Salt Lake City or Salt Lake City to Denver. Nothing more difficult when you go back-to-back like that. So they go back-to-back. Sacramento's in the mix. Portland is in there, too. I think Phoenix is also on the table when they go out west. So I'm assuming that there's going to be nothing until they get back. And, again, that's an assumption. But it also says there's relief within the organization that he's avoided serious injury. And I think that that was all of our concerns last night. So that part... That part is good. I know you guys well enough. You feared the worst just like I did. This doesn't come across as being a slip rock. This comes across as just being down this familiar path over and over again. Uh, we shall see. But that was a good, happy Tuesday type of report today. No doubt. Hey, by the way, the Pacers go on and win 133-131. to 131. You know, it's funny. I talk about the best in the world all the time, and, and I think those of you out there may not know as to why I call the NBA officials the best in the world. This goes back a number of years. Back when Mark Boyle used to be on the show, um, I like making fun of NBA officiating. I do. So I make fun of it. And then, you know, he gets kind of offended by it because he wants to keep this thing straight as an arrow and, you know, it, it's they're humans and all this. And I want to make fun of it. I've been making fun of it since the 80s, so I'm very comfortable. I mean, if you're an NBA fan like I am or a basketball fan like I am, for the most part, you've been making fun of NBA officials at different levels uh, for the better part of three to four decades. This kind of comes with the territory with most. And that was me. And still is me. But he had referenced in a conversation once that 
these guys are clearly the best in the world because this is the best basketball in the world, so they're the best in the world. And I've always kind of taken that and hashtagged best in the world because oftentimes it is not clear that they are the best in the world. And I'll be honest with you. You look at that foul call at the end of the game last night. Anybody else, much like me, believe that that foul that was initially whistled on Buddy Heald, did anybody out there believe that that was going to be turned over? Because I did not. Here's how it normally goes. It normally goes, if they go to replay, if there is just a shred of video evidence that dictates that their call is accurate, the ruling will stand. And I mean the smallest of things. I'll give you another great example. Was it, yeah, it was Jalen Brown, right, who had 40, 40, what did he have last night? Yeah, 40 even. Jalen Brown on that three-point shot where Aaron Neesmith just kind of, he put his hands behind his back. But the forward momentum kind of took him a little bit in his posture at the time, trying to get his hands behind his back. It moved him forward, and he got called for a foul. He got called for a three-point shooting foul against Jalen Brown. I thought that there was more evidence on the call of Buddy Heald that was overturned than to me just eyeballing that of Neesmith. Neesmith kind of looked like he was just trying to get out of the way. You know, the problem is he went for a head fake and trying to close out and then got a little bit off balance, but it did look like that he was trying to try all means necessary not to get even close to Jalen Brown as an end result, and it got called. I was absolutely floored that that call against Buddy Heald got turned over because you could see forearm back of head and I don't want to call it contact because that makes it sound worse than it was. It was like a a brush, right? It was like a light tap. Any of you guys ever play and you play on defense? Somebody goes up for a shot and when you close out, you kind of, you know, tap them on the elbow, tap them on the forearm. People don't like that. Anybody ever do that? Well, this is kind of, you know, in that light, it, you know, it kind of takes you off of what you're doing a little bit. And I just kind of felt that that's what happened to Brown, that there was a light forearm tap, very light. But I thought that there was enough to uphold the call. I thought there is no way in the world, and you might as well in that situation. I mean, let's face it, Rick Carlisle and company, they they treat these challenges like, you know, squirrels, nuts in a tree in the wintertime. I mean, they hover over them. They have that collection of them. So in, in that situation, you might as well. But honestly, I was shocked when it got overturned. I was thrilled when it got overturned, but shocked when it got overturned. And then, and then, and I'm getting to something here about things maybe being viewed as different. And I hope that I'm right about this take. And then you go down with the game tied. And Benedict Matherin gets a three-point foul called whistled against Porzingis and you know, there was some contact there, but let's just face it, more times than not, especially as an end result right there, you see you see that whistle not be blown. And it was. He shoots three free throws, misses the third purposely, 
and this was my greatest fear. And by the way, whatever there, you know, what is it? Point three, I think. And I, and I know how they were trying to utilize the clock at the end. They were trying to run it down as far as they can. They wanted to make sure uh, that there was no catch and shoot allowed because Boston had that final timeout to advance the ball. There was no catch and shoot allowed with a three that could have tied it up had Mather and knocked down that three. But I wasn't as worried about that. I was worried about the two-point the two-point tap, which was up on the rim by Cornette. But the thing that most worried me is something that I have since the 1980s made fun of the best in the world about, and that is the makeup call. So I was awaiting the makeup call. I mean, any sort of contact whatsoever to make up for the Brown, to make up for the Porzingis, the makeup call, the Pacer fans. Let's face it, we've seen this before. You've read that story prior. And you know what? The strategy of Rick Carlisle and his staff paid off. I I was concerned. I almost would rather, and I know these situations can be tough, I would almost rather you know, have that that catch and shoot like that. But I, I understood what you're doing. I mean, obviously, a backwards tap like that, a backwards tap is much more difficult of an attempt than it's going to be getting the ball and then releasing it from three-point range, which basically anybody can do. And then you would have another foul opportunity to happen right there. The strategy worked. But more so than anything else, did the Pacers finally, last night, get a call? Were they the beneficiaries of uh, the best in the world? Not reffing something accurately? Or as I called it a little bit earlier, preferential officiating? Because I don't know if I've seen it. I don't know if I have ever seen it. We have seen it against them. We have seen it. Victor Oladipo in 2018, game five. Uh, the postseason against the Cavaliers, LeBron James, that was a goal 10. That wasn't called. NBA even backed that up in that final two-minute report, if you remember. Yeah, we know about the legend of Jess Kersey and Larry Johnson. I, I don't know if we have ever, ever seen the Pacers benefiting from what I called preferential officiating treatment here or on the road or anywhere. And then you combine that with how salty some of these teams and their fans are starting to become with the Pacers. I can't lie. I hope that this is all true with Halliburton, and I hope he can hustle back because this this has all the makings of a hell of a winter time to shape up for the springtime around here in the NBA with the Pacers. Think about this for a moment. Get one of the elite teams and its fan base all bent out of shape, four of five by the Pacers over the Bucks. We know how they feel in Milwaukee, and now Boston fans are feeling the same way. Brian Scalabrini going off on the officiating last night on the Celtics television network. They've got all that working, and, and that you guys are going to say, "Well, wait a minute, what are you talking about? What are you getting at here?" That helps legitimize the threat of this team. And when I talk about taking steps to being competitive and to being a challenger, that is one of the major steps. When you are recognized, not just by your peers in the NBA, but you're recognized by those around you 
that are one and two, or at least in the Eastern Conference, elite level. When you're recognized in that capacity, i.e., when you're pissing them off, that shows signs of evolution, an evolution in a good way. I love the way they played down the stretch. I thought, to me, and I know that there were a lot of shots made everywhere. Yeah, Benedict Matherin was outstanding. You can kind of see, and and hopefully this becomes a consistency. The other thing you can see is you can see Matherin getting it. You can see him getting it. Like in the past with calls, and believe me, there's still going to be complaints, but as you can tell, it does not seem to last as long as it has. You can see him getting it. You can see him having confidence and like I like a, a loud and a talkative and a talking junk type of player, but there's also nothing like the quiet confidence that you see growing and evolving within the Pacers' young player. You saw a lot of that along with shot-making ability and fearlessness in terms of taking that shot which over the course of these next two weeks, I hope that you're going to see more of because they're going to have to be some roles in which you're going to be able to count on night in and night out. And again, that is going to be a rough trip. You know, just alone, when you go Sunday afternoon to Monday night from Denver to Salt Lake City, that is absolutely brutal. You know, pay no mind about what the Jazz record is this season. By the way, they have been playing better. But just going... You know, from mountain time zone to mountain time zone like that, back-to-back. You know, 3 o'clock start on Sunday, 9 o'clock start in Salt Lake City on Monday. That's hard. So this is not going to be easy by any stretch. But, man, I'm going to look for some growth from these guys. Some more growth because we do see it. And then, as I mentioned, you also can feel confident in other teams like Milwaukee, like Boston that are recognizing this Pacer team becoming quicker than what we thought. A competitive challenge in the Eastern Conference. Now, obviously, that is going to be with a healthy Tyrese Halliburton. But those are examples in which you have seen, and as I mentioned, you saw another one last night. And again, a shout-out to TJ McConnell. His hustle, you guys, the out-of-bounds ball, where it was bouncing underneath the... the Pacers' basket, second half. Did you guys notice? Like, Jalen Brown stared at it. And McConnell went after it. Jalen Brown assumed it was going to go out of bounds, and McConnell goes after it. His hustle is absolutely energizing to everybody else on the floor. And I have talked about why that has been important when so many other jackasses around here want to get in traded. We got to get some value. And you're jacking around about this trade value and what you can get for him. You oftentimes are blind to the value that he has to the growth of this team and how necessary that he is. And last night was yet another great example of that. We can hit that, Pacer fans. I'm ready to talk at you. Both IU and Purdue on the road coming up later on tonight. IU at Rutgers, and normally that is, for IU fans, one of the worst watches of the season. Now, Rutgers pretty awful. But I mean in terms of worst watches of the season, 
you go to uh, Jersey Mike. By the way, I like Jersey Mike subs. What do you think, James? You a Jersey Mike's guy? I can do Jersey Mike's. They're I don't right. have to have my stuff toasted. They're okay. They're yeah. pretty good. I just put some stuff together on that. Hey, I go with the tuna. Uh, no. Who's on board with me on tuna? Not a fan if of the tuna. If it stinks, you eat it. No, absolutely no, not. Really? No, really? Oh, man. Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's Arena tonight. And history will show that IU, IU and the outcomes of those games, it has not been exciting and or fun for IU fans to watch. Yeah, Rutgers is not normally what Rutgers has been for Steve Peichel. But that's going to be difficult tonight either way. You got that, 93 WIBC. Boilermakers, number one in the country. Uh, they are on the road in Nebraska. I'm going to get Matt Painter on either later on this week or on Monday, one of the two, before that first matchup with Purdue and IU. But uh, Matt Painter's crew in Nebraska against Fred Hoiberg's Cornhuskers coming up later on tonight. Both of those games, if you're watching, I would just advise you to listen Listen to Don and Eric and John on 93 WIBC. Listen to Rob wherever you can find it later on tonight. Our friend Rob Blackman, the voice of the Boilermakers. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you by now have already decided to get Peacock, but you've got Peacock exclusive games. I'm going to tell you what, too. The Peacock Tuesday night exclusive games, it's turned really Tuesday night into – a really boring watch on ESPN. Anybody notice that? I mean, really, the ESPN, the ESPN2 games are boring as hell. Two Peacock games for you later on tonight. Um, also, we learned earlier today, and I want to give my best before we hit this break. I want to give my best to uh, Jim Irsay. Jim Irsay, owner of the Colts. And we've kind of wondered over the past month or so where where Jim has been. Because it a couple of things stand out. One is rarely, if ever, would he miss a primetime game, especially one of that magnitude on Saturday. And I went back and watched the game, didn't see him. Kind of wonder what happened. I don't think we'd seen him for the better part of a month. And... Evidently, he is battling a severe respiratory illness. Now, we'll tell you this. Uh, my mom is battling the same thing right now, as I mentioned that. That's why I didn't want her to freak out over Tyrese Halliburton last night. I said, hey, I don't have to make a run down to GC here. But I know a lot of people are dealing with the same thing. And the Colts made that announcement earlier today. And not only did that affect, obviously, him not being at the game on Saturday night, but I know the Jim Ursay band and the Jim Ursay collection, which is going to make an appearance in Los Angeles coming up later on this week. I actually talked to Larry Hall in the parking lot, who is a part of that, who actually runs that, the Jim Ursay collection for the Colts. And Jim Ursay, I saw him on Saturday afternoon, and he, you know, he was talking about being out there. And obviously, Jim Ursay loves Southern California and L.A. and that atmosphere, but he will not take part in that as well. Severe respiratory illness. Get well and get better quickly. To Colts owner Jim Irsay. All right, speaking of the Colts, we'll talk about that coming up on the other side as well. Greg Rakestraw is going to join us. Spielberger in today. Brad Spielberger, he was right about a lot of things. 
He was right last week about a lot of things from PFF. Brad Spielberger joins us coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. And Tony East of Sports Illustrated, Locked On Pacers, and more about this Pacer team embarking after tomorrow night at home against Washington on a lengthy road trip without Tyrese Halliburton. And how much better the report made him feel, or are we still skeptical because, again, we've been down this path before and prior to it hasn't worked out. Tony E is going to join us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Golf Expo passes we shall give away as well. All right, the number 239-1070. Email address is jmv at 1075thefan.com. Inside the AAA membership lounge, that's YouTube Live. Remember, AAA, not only for the travel, as I talk about, but as always, making sure you're taken care of on the roads, especially this time of year when the weather can become quickly inclement out there. The AAA membership lounge lounge go ahead and log in there and start talking to folks inside the lounge via youtube live the stream the app and hd radio and i'm ready to talk at you two three whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you 391070 right here on 935 and 1075 the fan. The ride with JMV. You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of damn nerds. 935 and 1075 the fan. This is James over there. My name is John. I want to thank you for joining us inside the AAA membership lounge, YouTube Live. Shout out to everybody there. I know it was a doom and gloom afternoon yesterday. A lot of criticism. Uh, it's funny. My, my my Twitter account has been absolutely red hot basically since the end of the game on Saturday. I think finally everybody truly does understand what I'm getting at. Yeah, as far as the Colts, you know, living in the now, living in the moment, addressing that, and then thinking about them in a longer term capacity. I will, however, double back to some of that conversation we had yesterday and a bit with you. Brett Spielberger was on target last week from PFF. We've got to give him the major props coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, too. Tony East, regarding the grade one sprain of Tyrese Halliburton moving along on this western road swing without Halliburton. And this Pacer team, if they're going to be able to survive some of these situations tough tough western road swing for sure tony e is going to join us coming up in the five o'clock hour you and me at 239 1070 as well so if you're hanging out stay there if you're not get there we'll address your needs coming up in a bit on the andy moore automotive group hotline our friend greg rakestraw he does join us um yesterday a lot of confusion on on how I feel, and and you know this, the, the end of cult seasons, especially when it doesn't go well, and and oftentimes unless you win the Super Bowl, it doesn't. But certainly there have been you know better moments that we have witnessed prior to than what we have seen. Let's just say, for example, in the last nine seasons or so. But what'd you feel? You had the immediacy of the post game show, you and Bill Brooks on Saturday night after that home loss out of the postseason Houston is in, you know, what was the feel 
from those that were calling in. And, and how do you feel about this team right now moving forward compared to how they failed in that capacity in winning that game Saturday night? Sure. Uh, in, in terms of how I would describe it, I think it is the difference between good and great. This would have been a great season if the Colts had made the playoffs. If you go from four wins and the mess that was the end of last year to being a playoff team without your starting quarterback, having him not played really from, say, October the 8th on, that's a heck of a story. Um, that was you know, part of the season this so much reminded me of was 2012 and 2018, where those teams overcame adversity and found a way to be playoff teams. Uh, so obviously that didn't happen. It is still a very good season for the Indianapolis Colts. Anytime that you can uh, you know, increase your win total by five, you did something right. Uh, it kind of tells you again how poorly things went the year before. Also, the big picture way that I looked at it is this. There are so many more questions that are now answered compared to at this time last year. And so many of the needs last year were of the macro level. Now you're very much fine-tuning things. Now you know, hey, you, st- you still always want more pass rush. Clearly you need more help in the secondary or those guys simply have to age. Um, there needs to be more help at wide receiver. Probably needs to be a little more help at the tight end position as well. That may sound like a lot. That's a whole lot less than it was at this time a year ago. So from the caller's perspective, I was pleasantly surprised um, that it wasn't as much the woe is me or, hey, that stunk. It was, hey, that wasn't good, but you know what? 2023 went a whole lot better than I thought it was going to go for this football team. So I was pleasantly surprised by the perspective that fans had on Saturday night. So to me, it was a good season. It could have been a great season if Saturday night had turned out differently. So what you're saying is it was a 180 compared to what I talked about here yesterday, right? It was. I, I, I did not have a chance to what? tune in, uh, but uh, but but I, I got the gist of it on Twitter. The, the forty eight hours leading up to the show, let's put it that way. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was something. It, it really was. You mentioned wide receiver, and normally we'll end up finding out that one of these elite level wide receivers will grow tired with their present situation and we'll try to find an exit strategy. And, you know, whether that's you know a guy like Devonte Adams or, you know, Justin Jefferson in, in Minnesota has been mentioned. Is that the level of wide receiver that is necessary here? I'm assuming, and I, I like him and I want him to be able to stay. And that's Michael Pittman Jr. But clearly, they don't have nearly enough threats out there. And wide receiving consistent threats, something that you know scares, for example, puts a little fear into the defense, is necessary. Is it one of those names or like names that I just mentioned? Is that what's needed here? Or can it be something lower level that you can go to complement what they presently have? And hopefully with Michael Pittman Jr., what they continue to have. It would be great if it was, but when was the last time the Colts made a major free agent splash at wide receiver? Well, yeah, you know what though, Greg, it's been seven years. Can can I'm my not, man, can my man over there maybe rethink his strategy with this a little bit? John, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not saying he shouldn't. Yeah, I'm saying will he? Uh, I, I, is more of my question. You get where I'm going with? Yeah, that. I got it. Um, so let's let's talk about first things first. I want Michael Pittman Jr. back. Um, are, are there other receivers better than him? Yeah, probably. But did he do everything you asked of him to do 
the last four years, especially this year, yes. And what has been the M.O.? Again, let's talk about the behavioral habits of Chris Ballard. It has not been a problem to pay your own when they have played like it. And so first things first, let's make sure Michael Pittman Jr. is taken care of and bring him back. And you can argue he's a one, he's a two. He, he can be a one in this offense, and I am perfectly fine with it. I would still like to see the Indianapolis Colts go out and get another veteran wide receiver. Um, I think Josh Downs is a really good slot receiver, a really good third receiver. And he finished with, what, 66, 67 catches this past year, made a lot of big plays. Clearly you hit on that draft pick being in the third round. Um, I'm not sure Alec Pierce is a bust yet because you can question who's been throwing him the ball the last couple of years. Maybe he is more of a depth piece here to number four. You know, Ashton Doolin didn't play a snap this year. Maybe he's your five. Think about the number of wide receivers that were brought up off the practice squad at different times this year just to kind of fill things out and be thankful that Michael Pittman Jr.'s injury was one game, that Pierce was available every game, that Downs was available most every game because you were ridiculously thin at wide receiver this year, and thankfully those guys were durable and were able to play nearly every snap. Uh, And so I would hope – that wide receiver is something that is addressed in free agency. But if you ask me, hey, you're going to go out and get, you know, big star or bring back Michael Pittman Jr., I'd rather stick with the guy that proved how tough he was numerous times for you this year, bring back Pittman, and then bring in somebody else to play off of Pittman. I'm completely fine with that. Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So we heard what Shane Steichen said yesterday regarding the questions peppered at him about his defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley. Now, you can take this two different ways. One is, what would you expect him to say uh, at that moment? Um, He's not going to throw him under the bus. Or you can take it as this is what he truly believes and Gus Bradley will maintain as the defensive coordinator. I guess I'll ask you this. Um, There's no doubt they need an upgrade in in personnel, and that plays a significant role. But do they need a different thought process, whether it's the extreme of somebody like Wink Martindale or somebody in between these two areas with that of Gus Bradley and what is necessary moving forward as the coordinator of defense for this Colts team? Gus Bradley was a heck of a defensive mind when he had the Legion of Boom. Um, Far from saying he's a bum now, I think he did a really solid job, and I think think their philosophy reflected the talent in which they had. Um, again, this is a group that from an overall sacks number, uh, it was one of the best, if not the best, they have ever put together. Um, again, I think they're set up front. I do think they'll bring Grover Stewart back would be my best guess. You've got one more year to Forrest Buckner. Obviously, you've got like Evacom you've already brought in. You've got you know, both Dangbo and Pay uh, still on their rookie deals. You know you're set up the linebacker position. In other words – You've got many pieces that are currently in place. I am of the opinion, stay with what you have, just go out and get better. And whether that is a healthy Dallas Flowers, whether that is adding another veteran in terms of the cornerback position, um, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like for Julian Blackman uh, because, again, he, he played well, but injuries have obviously been a factor all four years that he has been here. Do you bring in a veteran safety? Do you draft a safety? I would tend to believe that Gus Bradley is a defensive coordinator here next year. And that, again, if you add extra talent, 
or you simply feel more confident about a young secondary, then maybe your defensive philosophy can change because I do think there was a lot of times that they were protecting a very young back four this year. Greg, who has a tougher road test tonight? Are you at Rutgers or Purdue at Nebraska? Nebraska is a better team. Rutgers is a tougher environment. Now, forgive me, John. I'm not sure if the kids from Rutgers are back in class yet. So I don't know if that uh, you know, oh, changes. I don't know. Um, changes the intensity at the rack because I'm a big fan of Big Ten games that are played at old high school gyms. Because that's <laughs> you know what the rack really is. And Red that is the Jer- like that Jersey Day. Mike's Arena. Greg right. Rostro, uh, yeah. No, no, no offense to the Danny DeVito sub commercials. <laughs> it's always going to be the rack to me, the Rutgers Athletic right. Center. Uh, and I think those smallish, weird, old, quirky buildings are tougher to win at than these pristine new palaces, which is exactly what Nebraska has. I think Nebraska is the better team this year. I think this is the best team that Fred has had uh, out in Lincoln. Um, so it's it's all about atmosphere. Better team, Nebraska. Tougher building to win at, the rack. All right, Butler the other night, close, halftime lead, number four, UConn, the defending champion, got him in the second half at Hinkle. How do you how do you view that moving forward uh, from the outside looking in for Thad Modest crew? Disappointment. Uh, they are clearly better. Uh, you feel bad that they lost that one. But as I told you the last week or the week before, I really think it's just about, you know, you've got so many opportunities to pick up quality wins um, if you're Butler, if you're Indiana, because you get those most every night in the Big East and the Big Ten, respectively. So a missed opportunity at home against UConn to get a quad one win. So they're frankly one of the top five teams in the country right now, at least by the net rankings and metrics and things like that they are. Um, so while that's a disappointment, you've got so many other chances for quality wins that big picture, the fact that you were as competitive with them kind of tells you maybe the metal of team that I think that Butler can be and, and is at that point. All right, Greg, final thing, high school-wise, to this point in the season, most impressive team, most impressive individual player that you had to call the game for, again, to this point. Sure, most impressive individual is Floyd Bedunga. Um, and just because I can see the improvement in his game from last year, he still, to his credit, doesn't just force or take bad shots um, but I've seen him make jump shots. And his game last year at a defensive, rebounding, passing level um, was a major college level. He's still not a major college offensive player, but you can see the growth in his game. And the kid is just such a good kid and great teammate. He'll be an impact player at Kansas the moment he sets foot on campus in Lawrence. So he's the most impressive player. Maybe the best individual performance I have seen so far is Braylon Mullins from Greenfield Central. He had 31 and hit nearly a three-quarter court shot in the game inning at Southport back on December the 9th, and obviously he is part of a ridiculously talented junior class. The most impressive team is one that I haven't seen yet, but that would be the Fishers-Tigers. Again, I'm trying to figure out how you lose your best players. And one of the best players, not just in the state, but as in the entire, entire recruiting class in Jalen Harrelson, who is now at LaPorte La Lumiere, and Fishers is unbeaten. Um, and they smoked Kokomo, and Kokomo's pretty good. Uh, Fishers beat Noblesville. I saw Noblesville. They're really good. Uh, Fishers found a way to win in overtime on the road at Center Grove. And Center Grove is a pretty good team, too. Yeah. Even if they don't have as many wins, they're, they're really a senior-dominated bunch 
and Fisher found a way to tough it out. So uh, very impressed by Fisher. I feel bad I haven't seen him play my own eyes yet, and hopefully I'll rectify that very soon. That uh, Joey Smith's kid, I think, hit about 25 threes in a game last week. Did he not? <laughs> Something like that. So He's had some good games. We had him twice, and, and, and he didn't have great games the two games I saw him. He's, he's a heck of a player down there. Yeah, got a big kid on that team, too, I believe. That, uh, got Spell, some... Will Spellman, very solid kid at 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. Maybe talking about uh, Mike, the young man that's that's moving. is about 6'9", six, 6'10", six, yeah, right. that is very raw, that, that they'll work on him going forward. All right, so um, one, one Laney has a game with her eighth-grade team tonight, Center Grove and Franklin. Are you going to call that game? I will not call that game, but John, just so you know, I literally just emailed a particular school about adding a game to their schedule with Eastern Green as the opponent. No, you didn't. So if that comes down, I may be asking you for sponsorship dollars as well as a color yes. commentary opportunity. Is it, is it Greenwood? No, um, I, it is potentially a game at Owen Valley. On oh, man. You're going down to... Going down to call the River Rats in their game. Wow. I I, I have called games from Spencer before, John. It's not that far. <laughs> I had no idea you have. That is, I mean, they uh, got an IGA there and everything. It's got to be a cool place, right? They have a Babs Super Value, which is one of my in – in a world now where we're losing all of our IGAs and our independent grocery stores, it still remains one of the best in Indiana. That's Babs Super Value in Spencer, Indiana. You are nothing, John, if you are not hometown proud America's <laughs> idea. I am. Well, I was going to say because I, I can't watch. I think they start at five thirty. I'm not going to be off the air yet. So we got uh, we got well, Lanny Lou starting a little hoop tonight. I'll, I'll give you the going rate for ISC to produce eighth grade basketball. We'll figure something out. Give me, <laughs> give me a heads up next time. Hey, by the way, Jim McCann says Rutgers classes begin January the sixteenth. So, um, Jackie April will not be. That's a Sopranos reference. He once upon a time attended Rutgers before his unfortunate demise on the Sopranos will not be in attendance this evening. So, no. Then no Jersey students. Mike's is going to be a pushover. If that's the case. That should be no problem for the Hoosiers. Just a shame it's on Peacock so I cannot watch it enjoy. With relative ease, Greg Rakestraw says. And, yeah, I'm with you on Peacock. That's a double dip of Peacock. Indiana's going to be freaking out over that tonight. This is the night when everybody really does get pissed, Greg, you know? Well, it is, unless you're a radio program director. So my first year that I was the PD at the fan, I think at that point in time, that was the year that Butler was in the A-10. I think they had a whopping two games that were not televised that year. One of those was Butler at LaSalle, and the ratings for that game were off the chart. So it's going to be a big night for 93 WIBC coming up later today. My man, I appreciate you. Keep in touch. See you, buddy. It's Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Babs Super Value and Spencer. Somebody actually, I think it's Hoosier Hayes that's an IU fan down there, had mentioned things in and around Ellettsville. And since we're talking about State Road 46, uh, west of Bloomington right now, Pizza Pantry and their buffet at Ellettsville at the top of that, in the Buffalo Farm, at the top of the list right there. Go a little bit further, you'll find Bab Super Value, everybody. Hey, quick one, we shall return. I get some calls if you want to go ahead and get on board regarding the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton, the Colts, the end of their season, a little collegiate hoop tonight. We can do that at 239-1070. Brad Spielberger was spot on last week at PFF. He can do a victory lap for us coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour. And Tony East on the latest regarding Tyrese Halliburton and his missing of time, which... 
at least to this point, did not turn out to be the bad news many of us expected last night. 93.5107 by the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, my thanks to Greg Rakestraw, that podcast at 107.5thefan.com. James, over there, hanging out with me, James. Thank you. Brad Spielberger was on target last week, unfortunately for Colts fans with his predictions in that game on Saturday night. A victory lap for Brad, a PFF in the 4 o'clock hour. And uh, Tony East, Tony East of uh, SI covers the Pacers. Uh, the injury to Tyrese Halliburton. Should you feel better after the breaking news from Adrian Wojnarowski? A grade one strain. Two weeks reevaluation moving on from there. We'll talk to Tony East about that and really what was an impressive win last night. I know that it was without Jason Tatum. But, you know, considering most of the game was without Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brown was zoned up for most of it going for 40. It was a resilient group last night. That is a a brand of basketball. See, I want a mixture here. I want a brand of basketball that is inspirational like we saw in the third quarter, for example, and down the stretch last night in the fourth. They put 44 on the board in the third. You wanted inspirational, like with T.J. McConnell hustling more than anybody else on the floor, you know, guarding people. You want that, but you also want a skill set. You want to see these guys flow with one another. You want to see good, solid, complementary, consistent basketball, too. You got that for the most part last night. I know it didn't feel like it. You know, second quarter going into the half, they were down 11 at one point, down nine at the half. The third quarter, they bust out and just closed it strong. I mean, even with two, and I love the fact. I love the fact that they got a call last night. I love the fact they got a call, and I love the fact that the rest of the NBA, including LeBron James, in which we'll talk about coming up, complained about that call. Or, maybe better said, complained about the overturning of that call last night. Great for everybody. Bill's at 239-1070. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm well, JMV. How are you? Bill, am I wrong about anything I just said? No, no. You know, I have, I have always said, I'm a, first of all, a season ticket holder. And when Halliburton went down last night, all I could think of was, this is like, please don't be a carbon copy of what happened last year. Because, you know, it, it, was, it was really similar. We were about five over 500. They were fun to watch. He gets hurt. I think we go on a road trip. I'm pretty sure we lost 11 to 12. Yeah, it was ugly. Never, never recovered, and that's all you can think of. But I think, I think really the saving grace is you got a year more experience with Matherin. You brought in Toppin. You got Bruce Brown from a championship winning team. I think your cast of characters is a little bit more talented and may be able to weather this. But I tell you, I went to. Um, really confirm your comments about T.J. McConnell. I absolutely love that guy. I There is not another player in the NBA that plays as hard consistently night in and night out as that guy does. And um, 
Mark Boyle made an interesting comment um, after the game about how they were leaving him open to take threes. Yeah. Almost insulting. Almost insulting. It was. It was. That was the first half, and you saw him adjust. I mean, he adjusted. He just went, and then in the second half went to get his own. But, yes, it was insulting. It was. He's he's professional. That's the thing Mark Boyle was saying. He's he's a professional guy. He didn't affect him. He gets right back in the game. He plays his role, and – you know, and it's even more apparent because he's so undersized how hard he plays. But um, the comment about LeBron and everything about us getting a call, and I'll let, I'll let you go, but real briefly, I have always said, and, and, and being a, a season ticket holder and watching a lot of games, I, am, I think the NBA more than any other professional league protects their talented players. Uh, in regards to giving them leniency, like you know, uh, oh, and, you know, well, and, and there, there is no. Hey, Bill, I tell you, I got to hit the top of the hour mark here, but you call back anytime. Thank you. I'll get to that on the other side too, because Bill does. Thank you, Bill. Lead me into the LeBron James, LeBron James remarks. Come on, man, the LeBron James remarks this morning after last night's game and the overturn of that call late in the game on the foul with Jalen Brown involved. We'll do that coming up next. Brad Spielberger as well. Four o'clock hour straight ahead next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Here's Jenny! David Letterman! Hi, David. I'm Grandpa. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live, you guys. Just read a little bit right there what you guys are talking about. You know you can participate in there. You can be a part of the show in there. Hey, I'm going to ask you guys this while I have you here, too. Inside the AAA Membership Lounge. Uh, you guys can tell me this right now. Uh, Van Pasterman, I'll start with you. I see you first. How handsome do I look today? Do I look like very handsome and, and chiseled? I don't want to ask James that. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I mean, you can answer. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. But I, I look like a very handsome and chiseled 54-year-old young acting out and about shooting the basketball dude right now. Oh, absolutely. Do I not? Absolutely. What do you guys think? This young, handsome, chiseled features, everybody, Larry Brown? What do you think about that? Or am I wrong? Because I'm incredibly biased. <laughs> I just think today, beyond other days, remember, the, the lighting in here is not the best. It's a bit harsh. I feel like a if you go into a convenience store and they got the... Uh, the the bro or for example you go back to a long john silvers in the day and under the lights and you got all those little like greasy crispy things that's kind of what it feels like under these lights in here but it just kind of i do i i think the lights kind of set off the handsome and chiseled features answer that question if you're not inside the lounge via youtube live you can answer it and especially if you don't like me i'm sure i know how you want to answer that triple a membership lounge via youtube live tony east tyrese halliburton's injury last night but the feel with the adrian warjanarowski report today that the pacers believe that they have sidestepped significant injury two weeks re and we'll see after that the pacers get the wizards coming up tomorrow night 
and then go on a long western road swing after that. We'll talk to Tony East about that and more of the win over the Celtics last night, too. Uh, meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he absolutely pegged things last week. We want to give him the opportunity for that victory lap from Pro Football Focus, Brad Spielberger. You know, it's funny, Brad. So many people after Saturday night's game with the Colts and the Texans said, hey, Spielberger was absolutely on target. Well done by your call this time last week. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was, you know, it's always fun to see a rematch uh, of two opponents. Obviously, two teams that grew a ton over the course of the season. But, you know, that, that battle is going to be fun to watch twice a year, hopefully for the next, you know, decade plus. What's the most disappointing aspect? Let's just say, for example, from a Colts angle here, the most disappointing you know, aspect that you saw you witnessed while watching that game Saturday night. Yeah, I think what's interesting is, you know, look, you know I'm a huge fan of Shane Steichen um, in, in many different respects and different facets. I know a lot of people – kind of up in arms that Jonathan Taylor is pounding the rock, running so, so well, even on that last drive in particular. And you take him off the field for the third running back, throw a pass, obviously, you know, falls incomplete. I mean, the play call worked. The guy got open. It was not a good throw from Minshew. And obviously, Goodson probably still could have caught it. But for me, the bigger issue was using the timeout just before that. You needed that third timeout because you did get the ball back. and You would have had more time to have another, a last drive, you know, get out of bounds, sustain the clock on that one. Some of the game management, some punts, and, and that timeout was actually a bigger, you know, mishap on my end from Steichen. But again, overall, I thought he was pretty good, called a good game. Jonathan Taylor looked as good as he looked all season long. There's a ton of positive, you know, things to take into the offseason. My suggestion was this yesterday, and obviously um, there was a lot that I critiqued. You have that in your, your building at home on a Saturday night, and I don't care if you had the backup quarterback in. I mean, he's the reason why they're mm-hmm. in that position. And my expectation was that they would take care of it, which ultimately they did not. I'm going to ask you about that fourth down call. I don't mind the play the way it was drawn up because, as you mentioned, and accurately so, it was open. I mean, with execution, it would work. But – to me, even if you weren't going to use him, I'm sorry, man. There's no way in the world I have 28 on the sideline. At the very least, I want the Texans' defense to recognize that the guy has been balling all night long against them, and he is out there, and that's somebody we need to be paying attention to. And I'm not suggesting they relaxed on that play whatsoever, but you didn't have to deal with the biggest threat offensively on the Colts roster on that particular play. And to me, he's got to be on the field as some sort of threat, even if he is not directly involved in the play itself. I think it's a very fair point. I think one thing we often lose sight of is the gravity of good players, even when they're not the targeted player or the guy getting the handoff, just what defenses have to do to account for their presence on every single snap. And again, in particular in this game when he was killing them, right? I mean, he really was breaking off chunk plays every single carry. It almost seemed like, so yeah, I hear you. Why not be in 22 personnel? You know, you don't have, um, you know, you can get an extra back on there and give a different look and, and shake things up a little bit and force the defense to account for both of those guys, especially go back to it. Was he tired from the drive? Maybe, but then you took a timeout. You got a TV timeout. I'm confident he was, you know, had his win back by the time they ran that play. So, yeah, I hear you. I think it's entirely fair. You know, not only was he that good in that game, but, you know, you you paid the guy to be on there on fourth down in a playoff game. So, I I hear you. Not only that, too, but he got injured and then came back. 
And, you know, in, and he came back for a reason. And just to leave him out of that equation on that fourth down call, I, you know, decoy, you know, utilizing him, whatever would have worked. I think anything would have worked besides him standing on the sideline. I hear you. I have no argument for me. <laughs> so Brad Spielberger, a PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Grading wise from pro football focus, uh, how'd you guys grade? Because I thought this was going to be important and really there was no consistency on either side. We saw Jonathan Taylor, which we talked about being important. I mean, he was Jonathan Taylor um, at the elite level running the football, no doubt their biggest threat. But I thought a couple of half twos that did not show up consistently at all, the offensive line and the defensive line on Saturday night. How did they grade out for the Colts? Yeah, so from a run-blocking standpoint, I think they definitely did. I mean, I think Braden Smith had one of the more dominant uh, outings I've ever seen, uh, and he had a 95.7 run-block grade for us, which absolutely aligned with what I saw from the broadcast angle. Uh, Quentin Nelson in the 80 there as well. But but I do hear you from a pass-block standpoint. Yeah. There were times where Will Anderson was getting home you know, fairly quickly. We've talked a lot about Bernard Raymond and his growth this season, still a ton to carry forward, but Will Anderson kicked his butt on a couple of reps. So like, it was definitely not his best outing. So I certainly hear you there. And then Gardner, you know, he made a couple of plays at times, but I will say it, some of that pressure I think was invited by maybe holding on the ball a little bit too long. Yeah. Um, he also kind of created some inaccuracies with, with some you know, shoddy footwork or kind of getting happy feet a little bit. I'm not trying to, I think I've said that too many times on this show, but it, it does like he has tools and ability and talent. I think he sees the field very, very well. It's almost like sometimes he kind of dances his way out of um, some accurate passes or limiting the yards after the catch because the the receiver has to kind of reach behind them to make a play. Stuff like that, I think, popped up on film uh, in this game in particular. So I talk about this all the time, and I want you to verify this. He gets happy feet when moments would not necessarily dictate a quarterback having happy feet. Is that what you're talking about? Bingo, 100% right. We saw a call often like bailing from clean pockets. And again, like we've never stood in a pocket and had 350-pound, you know, monsters chasing after us. So I get it. But it's you should trust this unit, especially when you get Braden back. So you have, you know, your starting five is a good, you know, probably top 10 offensive line in the NFL in both facets of play. Um, and Houston, look, Will Anderson's a good rookie, but that is not a top 15 pass rush in the NFL, especially without Jonathan Grenard, their other edge, who had a really, really good season, did not play in this game. Yeah, that's when it's a bigger issue. Like, under pressure, I get it. But when you are, yeah, when you have sloppy footwork, when you're not really under pressure, that's when you kind of you lose those opportunities to hit those explosive games through the air. He is Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. Absolutely pegged that game last week at this time. Texans moving on. They host, of course, Cleveland coming up in the 4 o'clock hour on Saturday down in Houston as the AFC South champion in the AFC postseason. Brad's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You would mentioned a little bit that defensive line. I, I thought that they they got it going in the third but they were not nearly representative of what I felt that the Colts needed in that game on Saturday. Would you and the numbers at PFF agree? Yeah, no, I do agree with you, unfortunately. There were there were some spots here and there, and CJ Stroud, to his credit, was remarkable under pressure, um, which really is just the most fascinating thing because it was the biggest red flag on his college tape. It's why everyone had question marks about him. Uh, was from a clean pocket, as good as it gets, one under pressure, you know, for us, he had a he had an outside of top 100 passing grade when pressured in the FBS last year, um, except for the Georgia game. He was sublime, and it's been that way his entire NFL career. So, anyway, yes, I don't think you got enough, you know, in particular off the edge. 
Samson Abacam, one pressure for us. Um, you know, Tyquan Lewis actually led the team with four, um, but just, just not really enough there. DeForest Buckner, the only other player with multiple quarterback pressures in that game. That's just not going to get it done. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm with you. Those guys came up short. Quiddy pay zero pressures in a do-or-die game. And, look, Laramie Tunsil left tackle, one of the best pass-protecting left tackles in the NFL. But that team has backups playing at center, left guard, and right tackle. Um, it, it should have been a better performance from that, that unit. See, what, what's so tough to digest around here, Brad, is this, that, that – defensive line had had set sack records this year going back to 1987 and surpassing you know years collectively that we saw on either side Mathis and Freeney the greats around here spin and get to the quarterback they surpassed those numbers but came up about as small as you possibly could when it really mattered Saturday and I think so I mentioned the O-line which does deserve accolades but this is also you know what Bobby Slowick is trying to accomplish in this offense is get the ball out extremely quickly on a lot of quick outs to their players that then get ahead of steam and go to work with yards after the catch. And this is a team that did not have their star rookie in Tank Dell, didn't have Robert Woods. Noah Brown came in, dinged up in this game. It really was, I mean, look at the statue. It was Nico Collins, yeah. who basically the entire offense. And we obviously did highlight him, and he was exceptional this year, second in the entire NFL in yards per route run. I mean, one of the, one of the great third-year breakouts uh, across the entire NFL. But – but when you know you have one guy that's going to beat you, um, and look, he can separate early, but he's you know a six three two twenty type of guy. Like he's not this shifty five eight like you know you know like create immediate separation at the line guy. I'll say this, you know that is where when you're a bit predictable on the back end and you you know you're going to play a lot of cover three. CJ Stroud has the third best passing grade in the entire NFL for us against zone. Uh, actually, 26th against man, so that Cleveland game is going to be fascinating because they actually lead the NFL uh, in man coverage or, you know, top five. You just – they knew where they were going pre-snap, and, and so they almost – I'm not going to say the defensive line couldn't have been better. They could have, but also, you know, coverage helps you get pressures, um, and the coverage did not help them get any pressures or sacks in this game. We'll say this. That first play of the game for 75 yards and a touchdown is ridiculous. Because you're right, and I want you to speak more regarding that. We talked about Nico Collins, and it would seem to me defensively that I'm not considering they're going to be able to completely take him away. But if he was a focus, I cannot imagine what he would have done offensively had he not been the focus. I thought that that was one of the more embarrassing aspects of that defensive performance was the fact that he was like one of the lone dudes out there and they could not come close. He still rose to this defense over and over again. And it's interesting. So it also is, again, going back to Bobby Sloak. And, you know, there's a reason he's doing a bunch of head coach interviews as we speak. But a big thing he's done this year, um, and shout out Josh Norris at Underdog Fantasy, who's highlighted a bunch uh, on Twitter, when he wants to take deep shots on play action, where I think we're used to a lot of teams having, you know, maybe three receiver, four receiver sets, trying to have clear out routes and create separation with spacing and, and with putting a defense in conflict on the back end. What he does, he max protects. He'll have Andrew Beckett at fullback. He'll have two tight ends. He'll have seven guys blocking and then three receivers running routes or even two receivers running routes. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't work every single time, but that's what he was doing a lot in this game was C.J. Stroud had so much protection that he, he still didn't need a lot of time if Nico Collins was getting open immediately, but he knew he could probably dance around one pressure if it came or trust the play action, turn his back to the defense and not worry about it. And you saw it on that play in particular. He was just so calm, cool, and collected, waited for Nico to get open, and then threw an absolute dot. 
Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Slovak was awesome in this game. You see why, like I said, he is currently, you know, talking to a bunch of teams looking for a new head coach. So Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus with us. I think we went over this a couple of different times, and now it's more appropriate to talk about it. But in terms of the backup quarterback role, which Gardner Minshew goes back to next year if he, he stays here, I, to me, I think it's important for the Colts to have somebody legitimate like that as a backup. But how robust will his market value be? considering how he looked in that final game and then putting everything together. Because I think we both thought that maybe the true way that he would leave is to go start someplace else. I I can't imagine that being a part of anybody's equation right now. But you tell me, what's your expectation for his market value? And is that something to where, first things first, would you suggest he ends up back here as the backup quarterback? Yeah, to the point of starting somewhere else, I think really the easiest way to look at it is this. A coach who believes in him maybe more than any other coach in the entire NFL in Shane Steichen brought him with him, drafted a kid in the first round, fourth overall, who played one season of college football. And and we've talked about it. I don't think it's as raw as people said, but certainly was a raw prospect compared to, you know, Bryce Young, T.J. Stroud. And at no point pretended there was a quarterback competition in any way, shape, or form, right? Like it was like, this guy's a starter, this guy's a backup. So. If that's Steichen's perspective, then, then then I really doubt another team's going to say, hey, yeah, we're going to give this guy a chance to start. He'll have a camp battle. Maybe the rookie will beat him out. You know, if they a team that takes, you know, obviously not the first or second pick, but, you know, your Jaden Daniels, your, your Michael Panics, your Bonix, whatever. I'm not even sure I see that. So I think he'll get a raise over the one year, three and a half million dollars. But, you know, we talked about my, my free agency article that I do. I think I had him at 215, which is, basically the Taylor Heineke contract elsewhere. It's, it's strong backup quarterback money. It is for a team that – so similar, similar situation. There wasn't a battle between Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke, but I think Atlanta knew there's a possibility this young guy doesn't take that step and we want to have a you know solid starting quarterback in place. That's more the, the role I see for a Minshew elsewhere. Or if he stays, like we talked about, maybe he takes 2-8, 2-10, um, a little bit of a discount – but has the stability, a coach that believes in him, can help this young quarterback, you know, come you know, along the way. I still stand where I stood last time. It, it, he'll get a raise, um, but I don't think anything crazy. Yeah, and, and see, I think now, given they didn't make the postseason and how he looked in that game in front of everybody in prime time on Saturday, probably takes away from what he would have been value-wise had they punched their ticket, ended up winning the division, having a home playoff game, you know, playing a beatable team in Cleveland. I think that all plays in the role of him and his market value not being nearly what people thought it might had he won that game. I would say I agree with you there. And also, you know, the draft class. So, of course, again, there's the big names. I get that. But I think we'll get five picks in the first two rounds. But I still think you'll get, like, Michael Pratt at Tulane in the top 125 picks. You know, like, we can sit here. I can name a couple guys that I think will be, let's say, first five-round picks. So, you have that. And then I know these guys are older and and whatever. But, you look, Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson, you know, there, there are other options as well at a certain point. There's only 32 starting jobs, um, and I just think the game of musical chairs isn't really playing into his favor. What is the um, the value for Michael Pittman Jr.? I want him back. 
Most people would suggest him not being number one. Is he going to be worthy for the amount of money that is thrown at him? And we know that the Colts still need to upgrade at the receiver, even if he does return. What what do you expect his market value to be? Because he mentioned yesterday that's something that he and his team will investigate. Yeah, look, he had a great year. He boosted his value 110%. I still, as I've said the whole year, expect the first step to be a franchise tag and then They'll get to work on trying to iron out a multi-year deal. I don't think it's in the upper echelon. You know, I, I think you saw last offseason that the whole tranche of players, the, you know, DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, all those guys got around 22 to 23, $24 million a year. I think a year later, he's kind of right in that bucket. So despite the market growth, despite, you know, every position tries to rise with the cap and all those things, Still, in the 22-23 range is about where I think it would land, um, which, yeah, you, you, can, you can quibble if he's worth that number, if he is a number one in the same vein as those players. He's so, so unique, as we talked about. Um, but I think his camp could also push back and say, okay, if you're going to make the argument of he has a low average depth of target, you know, a.k.a. he's not winning a lot downfield, he's more of a possession guy, they would say, okay, well – the Matt Ryan Colts last year were one of the worst passing offenses in the entire National Football League. This year, you had you know a couple starts with Richardson, a rookie quarterback, and then a backup in Gardner Minshew. So we hear you. We get what you're saying. You didn't test well, yada, yada, yada. For all you know, if he was playing in an offense that you know had 4,500 passing yards, he'd have 1,500, not 1,100, right? So, so I think you can kind of argue both directions in that one. Um, I'll, I'll throw the number. I'll stick with 23. I'll, I'll just go with that number in terms of av- average annual value. I asked this a little bit earlier. Any of these, we have this every year, it seems, elite-level wide receivers that grow tired of their present situation and try to maneuver themselves. Most of the time they do that out of that environment. Anybody come to mind that may want to do that coming up this offseason? Yeah, I think a couple want to do it. I don't know if the Indianapolis either has the interest or they have the interest in going to the Colts. But, you know, I think Devontae Adams, especially if the Raiders do move on from Antonio Pierce, um, you know, I think he'll try to force his way out. I assume try to go to the Jets and reunite with Aaron Rodgers could be on top of his list or, you know, go chase the ring wherever else he sees a legit opportunity. Um, I, I think his name jumps out. I, I think it's very, very possible. Talk to the other ones. The other one I'd say is not forcing himself out because he doesn't like the situation. Um, I, I wonder if Cincinnati is going to pay up for T. Higgins. Unlike a Michael Pittman, you know, back-to-back draft picks in the, in the class, he missed half the season with injury. He was good when he played. But, you know, they got Jamar Chase coming up. They just paid Joe Burrow. Are they going to be willing to pay him the money he wants, which I think is a similar number? I just don't know. I think they tag him, and I think a tag and trade is more likely there than a tag and trade is likely in Indianapolis with Pittman. He is Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus. Before I let you go, you have to try to explain to me the rationale in Amy Adams-Strunk doing what she did with Mike Vrabel down in Tennessee. Does it come win-loss record? Is it general manager that didn't bring him in here? What is the reason why? I mean, you would have to have somebody right in mind to make that type of move with Vrabel today? So I'll say this. I think Rabel is a clear-cut top 10 coach in the NFL. Maybe might even be top five if I sat down and tried to list them all out. Gets as much out of his talent as any coach in the NFL. Um, my understanding of the situation, this goes back to last offseason, is you bring in a new general manager who thought, hey, that we had a great run, four straight winning seasons, number one seed in the AFC one year, made the conference championship game another year. 
But where this roster is at right now, it is not good enough. We are not going to contend this year. So we should sell off assets, trade players, move on from Ryan Tannehill, you know, save $27 million there uh, in terms of salary and start this thing over with a rookie quarterback. And Rabel said, nope, I don't like that idea at all. Let's go sign DeAndre Hopkins. Let's go sign Andre Dillard at left tackle who barely played. Um, You know, let's keep all those guys, pay all those veterans. And here we are. So I I think he is a phenomenal coach, but I think he wanted – not full control of personnel, but close to full control of personnel. And I just don't think Tennessee views it the same way. They want to split alignment with a, a GM and a head coach. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where it, what it came down to. I know Colts fans won't want to hear this, but give me your comparison of the rookie season of C.J. Stroud that's going to be a thorn in the side around here forever with some of those names in recent or longer-term history at the quarterback position we've seen. Oh, it's one of the greatest rookie seasons of all time. Um, it really, really is, uh, no matter how you slice it. It, it. Because I also think we, we underappreciate – we now like don't talk about it in the same terms, but he went to an organization that was, I mean, a dumpster fire would be putting it maybe kindly before he got there, right? I mean, just so much turmoil, not a lot of talent on the roster on either side of the ball. Obviously, D'Amico Ryan's, you know, probably should be coach of the year or certainly one of the top candidates, you know, along with the Shane Steichen. But – elevating the entire organization, elevating the team. We're talking about Nico Collins, who's talented, but I don't know, was like a 600-yard-a-year receiver uh, and now is a 1,500-yard type of guy with C.J. Stroud. The only one I can think of in recent memory is Justin Herbert. Um, and then before that, you're talking Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin back in 2012. Um, I, I think if you, if you sat down and looked at it, it's probably one of the top five to ten rookie quarterback seasons of all time. You expect Jim Harbaugh to be in the NFL as a head coach next year? I do. I think he's dying to get back to the NFL. You know, it's going to take, we just talked about with Vrabel. I think he also would want almost the entire control of personnel. Uh, and I'll mention the guy I just, I just, or I'll pair him with the guy I just mentioned. I think the Chargers could be interesting. Harbaugh understanding the assignment of we're tearing this entire thing down to the studs. We're building around this quarterback, and, and we want you here for the long haul. It's not a quick fix. We're going to re-brand the entire program and culture. Um, I, I could see Raiders, but I, I'll, I'll go with Jim Harbaugh as the coach of the Chargers is my, my prediction. You know, it's funny about that. When you mention it, and it makes all the sense in the world, and the only thing that doesn't is I think that atmosphere, win, lose, or draw, is always going to suck there in at SoFi Stadium for the Chargers. That's the only thing where, and I, I know that that would not keep them from hiring the best or wanting somebody like that, but at times, you know, a, an environment like that may keep a coach from viewing that as as viable as we might think. I'll say this. You are 110% spot on. The joke we always make on our show is that the Rams and Chargers don't play home games because uh, away fans just fill the stadium. However, Go Google what the 49ers stadium looked like before Jim Harbaugh <laughs> took over. Uh, you know, you could hear a pin drop in that building. So I hear you. I think you're right. Um, but I think he, he embraced that challenge in, in San Francisco. They had no fans coming to games after that rough stretch they had. Um, and obviously once he was there winning games and making NFC championship games, uh, the place was rocking. We're still going for the postseason here, right, Brad? Of course. Of course. Why not? Well, people would miss you on Tuesday if we didn't. So I want to make sure we're solidified for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I love coming on and talking to you. And, yeah, we have plenty to talk about now. 
I always talk about free agency and the draft and yep. all that stuff. You know, now, now we're in my, my wheelhouse. Well, we will have some things pop, I'm sure, in the weeks to come that will get more interesting regarding the Colts around here, too, because Chris Ballard still has to have his annual meeting with the media coming up at some point, too. So we'll learn a little bit more about some thinking and be able to really get into it around here. Brad, we appreciate you. And again, right on target last week. That's well done. Uh, thank you. You have a good one. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Always really good on this Tuesday in this position. All right. 239-1070 is the number. I'll get back to your calls on the other side. The news regarding Tyrese Halliburton today. Now, it's not completely feel good because he's injured, but it certainly seems from Adrian Wojnarowski that it is a lot better than what we thought it was going to be when we watched him being carried off the floor at Cambridge Fieldhouse last night. Grade one left hamstring strain is what it's called. Halliburton have an MRI today, reevaluated in approximately two weeks. Your thoughts on that? In that pivotal moment last night, where a foul was called against Jalen Brown, it was on Buddy Heald, and then that call was overturned. A lot of people complained about that, certainly in Boston and across the NBA. One of which, LeBron James. Talk about that coming up on the other side of your calls at 239-1070. Tony East covers the paces for SIE, joins us top of the hour. Golf Expo tickets also coming up for you. IU and Purdue, both on the road. IU at Rutgers, Boilermakers on the road later on tonight at Nebraska. Conversations regarding both coming up. Don't miss a moment inside that AAA membership lounge via YouTube Live as well. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Joey, have you ever been in a, in a Turkish prison? 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. James, on the spot as a producer, my name is John. Thank you very much for hanging. AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live. Yeah, think about traveling with AAA, but also thinking about getting around, especially this time of year, as the inclement weather does come in. That's interesting. I don't know how far north you have to go. We were expecting maybe some bad, some slick conditions, but it looked like it all turned into rain up until this point. But always have locked in my good friends at AAA, the AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live, where you can go and hang out with everybody conversations about exactly what we're talking about right here and actually even more than what we're talking about right here inside the lounge via YouTube Live. And a lot to get to as far as your responses so far today. You know, I mentioned this. uh, LeBron James had a response about that call last night. And I'm talking about the call, the foul call, Buddy Heald on Jalen Brown. That was a big moment of the game late that ultimately got overturned. And I had mentioned this. I can't remember a time when the Pacers were the benefit of a call really of that magnitude at the end of the game like that or any game like that. And normally that doesn't happen. But it absolutely did last night. And the Pacers benefited from that. And then ultimately Porzingis fouled. 
Matherin. Matherin goes to the free throw line, knocks down a couple of right there. And that was it. So LeBron James had this to say about it. In reviewing the tape from the night before, he says, via X, see what I'm saying? JB clearly got hit in the back of the head. They reviewed the play just to reverse it and say that he didn't. Man, what? Good-ass game to have an ending like that. And you all see why I'd be going eight blank out there when it happens. I will say this. Normally, I would because there is no group I like making fun of more than the best in the world, and that's NBA officiating. However, last night, certainly because we follow the Pacers, and I like the fact when the Pacers win, you guys are really happy, especially under those circumstances last night. This was my response. Damn it, can you not let us celebrate our first moment of preferential officiating treatment at Indy of all time? Really, in the NBA era, I can't remember a time when the Pacers did benefit from what I want to refer to as preferential treatment. They got it last night. I can't believe, honestly, it was overturned. I thought there is no way in the world, any time that any part of the body makes contact, thus justifying the whistle in the first place, rarely, if ever, you see that overturned. And like, like Porzingis, that was legit. But I could not believe that call got overturned. So not only are we entering now a new era, where elite-level teams in the Eastern Conference, like the Bucs, like the Celtics, when they truly care what the Pacers are doing and understand that the Pacers are coming right now, we have seen that. We have seen that response, that reaction. But hold on a minute. Something I never thought we would talk about. The Pacers benefiting from not the call, but the review of the call. Let's face it, that's a big moment around here. That even more so legitimizes it. You know, I thought the Bucs did a hell of a job in the Pacers' four out of five wins over Milwaukee. And the fact that the Bucs oftentimes were salty. I thought that did a great job at legitimizing the growth, the evolution of this product. And if you remember, everybody's always been about rebooting and growing and the process, and it's okay to wait. And I mentioned this yesterday. There is no term that I loathe more right now than entertaining losses. I'm sorry. That is an incredibly losing mentality anymore to me. And I'm not going to have it. So I've dropped that. Long ago. And when somebody says it, I call them out, I point at them, and call them nerd. Entertaining losses. And as I've mentioned in the past, it's okay to grow. And as I also talk about evolve to become a better team before what everybody believes the timetable is for you. Grow. Succeed. Accomplish. While you're learning. And the Pacers have been doing that. We saw it in bits and pieces a year ago, though, when Halliburton went out for that extended period of time. All that was over. That was out the window because clearly he means that much to this team. And now you're going to be without him, certainly for two weeks. We'll see how ongoing this is going to be. 
We'll talk to Tony East about that at the top of the hour. But a lot of signs pointing to why you should like the direction this team is going right now. Signs from teams. But signs from the best in the world. A little bit of home respect right there. I, I was absolutely floored that that call was overturned. Floored and then thrilled. I mean, really, I mean, LeBron James has benefited from call after call. And I went, I go back to 2018, game five, Cleveland, Pacers, goaltend. At the very least, you can allow Pacer fans to have their moment. It has been fleeting in that capacity forever. Allow them to have that moment. All right, 239-1070 is the number. Tony East, top of the hour, the latest on Tyrese Halliburton. And again, our well wishes to Jim Irsay, Colts owner. Severe upper respiratory situation that he has. Colts announced that earlier today, so we want to send out our thoughts, our well wishes to the Colts owner. 239-1070. Jonah is up next today. Hello, Jonah. How are you? Hey, John. How are you doing? Jonah, am I speaking to you as far as the Pacers, the evolution, and all the signs that point to this thing absolutely quicker than usual on track in the right direction? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this time last year when Halliburton got hurt, the Pacers had a good squad, but when they went 111, mm. they weren't as polished. You know, you ha- you got Nee Smith who's playing at a higher level, Sticks is playing at a higher level, and I just with Halliburton's loss, it's going to suck because he fa- he facilitates the offense so well. But I think these or uh, I'm sorry, Nimhard will be just fine, especially on the defensive end, and as long as he takes care of the ball. He has a pretty good mid-range, and if other teams want to play zone, I think he can exploit that. And then with T.J. McConnell, you know, he just makes the opposing team's head spin with how quick he is. Because didn't we call him the injector a couple years ago? And that's what he's been doing, especially off the bench. And I think he was a huge, uh, huge piece last night in, in coming back in a very impressive game where the Pacers, you, you could have thought, would hang their heads after the Halliburton injury, but... That second half was impressive, especially without your floor leader. No, in in the third quarter, they put 44 up and then closed the game out late. Benefited from certainly an overturn of a call, but at the same time, you couldn't ask for more. Love T.J. McConnell and the hustle and the effort that he shows. I mean, all you, you can see that that just puts more energy into the rest of his teammates. Yeah, you can see it. That's a reason why I never wanted them to think about trading him and getting rid of him, and you saw it once again last night. I mean, he just – what he does, he just kind of – he, he Puts a shot of adrenaline in everybody, even if he's not making a shot. And and the guy got to give him credit. They weren't guarding him from that three, and that can be embarrassing for a player of that level. But right. he, he got through it, started getting to his comfort zone on his shot, made things happen. That's exactly why he is and always has been necessary for this team. And my concern last night is if the Celtics made a run and take the lead late, which they did on the Porzingis three, I was thinking to myself, well, who's going to take over now since Halliburton's not there? And Ben Matherin just he's like, you know what? Hold my beer. I'm going to take this over. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, it was and necessary. Going yeah. a, in going four and one against the Celtics twice and the Bucks twice. And the Hawks are not a good team, but Trey Young can go off at any time and go off for 50 points, which – Thankfully, he did not. 4-1, and one, it was in a very impressive stretch. 
and I know we have a, a big road trip coming up, but some of these games are winnable. And I'm going to go to the game here next Sunday uh, when they come here to Phoenix. So I'm excited for that. But yeah, I, I just with I think the Pacers will be fine without Halliburton. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting a month for him to be out, but as, as long as they can uh, tread water, I think they'll be they'll be just fine. Jonah, I appreciate that. You call anytime, my friend. Here's my concern: is this. I treading water would be, I think, a high point for this group the way I look at it right now because he so controls how productive everybody else is on this team. And, you know, especially I'll give you a great example, Miles. I mean, he he sets Miles up so much and he has become so much more of a threat with Halliburton. I mean, that's one thing, and you can like the backups and, you know, Andrew Nimhart and, and those that are going to take that place within the rotation, but that is something that you cannot make up. You just cannot mimic that. So the next couple of weeks plus is going to be survival mode. And going out on, on a West Coast trip, now they're back at home against the Wizards coming up tomorrow, but a West Coast trip is going to be incredibly difficult. I mentioned, too, that Sunday-Monday thing, so 3 o'clock with the defending champion Denver Nuggets in Denver on Sunday afternoon, and then 9 o'clock at night in Salt Lake City. Back-to-back mountain time zone games, and these players will tell you that is the toughest part about going out west is when the draw on your schedule is that. So treading water is the best that I'm thinking about right now. But I do want to get back to McConnell for a moment. You guys see last night when he got called for, I think, that blocking foul? It was a dribble handoff, and and I think he knocked the defender down. I don't know if it was Pritchard or who it was. Do you guys see him going down the other end of the floor defensively, mimicking the guy who made the call? That was awesome. <laughs> he was mimicking the enthusiasm in which the call was made. I love that. Just a shot of adrenaline that nobody else can match on that team. And yet another reason why he is so incredibly necessary with this group. And the fact that any of you out there thought that he should have been traded at any point, absolutely crazy. And again, it goes to show you how much basketball we know here. Been ridiculous. Yeah, at some point you got to recognize what you have and stop thinking about trade value in 2029. Complete jackassery was that thought. And TJ McConnell showed you once again that value with this group now and into the future. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk to Tony East, top of the hour, the latest on the Tyrese Halliburton injury. We'll talk about that and the Pacers embarking on that Western road swing coming up here in the 5 o'clock hour. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Gutshot Greg writes this. I often refer to listening to your show as an entertaining loss. Thank you, Gutshot. John Buzzard writes this. JMV, how would you rank the following list of Twitter jackassery? Good question. Entertaining win guy. Do better guy. Pro athletes are soft guy. Don't be a downer guy. 
Um, entertaining win is at the top of that list. That's a number one seed easily right there. Pro athletes or soft guy makes me laugh because you just got a bunch of fat asses that say that. <laughs> then you, all you got to do is look at him and go, all right, yeah. Calling somebody else soft, that makes me laugh. I, I've never done that. Never done that. And you can say, well, people have called others soft before. If you're Larry Bird and the general manager of the team and you want to call your team soft, then so be it. Me calling a professional athlete soft, it's ridiculous sounding. And I don't care who it is. I don't care if you're sitting here. I don't care if you're in the morning, if you're in the midday, if you're nationally, it makes you sound stupid. I care who you are. All you got to do is go out and watch these guys play. Like one time. So I would start, John, at the top of that particular list. Um, draft capital for the future, and as Greg points out, I think oftentimes uh, that does and is created on this station, the draft capital guy. Whew. I'm the – these teams haven't won in stinking forever, and I'm sick of it, and when you have the opportunity to win, win, right stinking now guy. That's what I am. I'm a win right stinking now. And you can worry about 2028 and 2029 and draft capital and cap space and all that later. Again, you get ready. We're going to be inundated with cap space. $71 million in cap space. The other thing you guys often bring up is why is Chris Ballard not being held accountable? Um, I My Chris Ballard year was last year. And here's where I stand on that. You still, after seven years, don't have results. The problem that you have is I can't sit here every day and constantly rail on something that has no chance of happening for the next two years. Like that beating of the drum ended last year. When Chris got extended, that was Jim and company putting their confidence in him. So it's a waste of breath. Essentially, it is. It's like it's probably when we bring up talking about all these wide receivers that may or may not be available, these elite level guys that you know, or free agency that you know has no chance of ending up with a player right here. So, no, there is no doubt, no doubt that there has been no marks reached yet. And seven years is a long time. Rarely, if ever, does that ever happen. But to sit here and rail on that every day doesn't make any sense because the confidence has been placed and Chris is going to have another two years to get this thing to where fans are finally happy with it. That is the absolute truth of the matter. Yes, Rex, you're right. Draft capital guy is definitely Chris. Quick break. We'll come back. Tony East regarding the injury to Tyrese Halliburton and moving forward, surviving with that in mind. Tony East and your chance to win Golf Expo tickets coming up here in the 5 o'clock hour. If you're on hold, don't go anywhere. The AAA Membership Lounge inside the lounge via YouTube Live is also available for you. 93.5107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. It's quite pungent. It stings the nostrils. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Triple A Membership Lounge via YouTube Live. Thank you guys for watching. Whose birthday is it in there? Rake Straw Spielberger Podcast 107.5thefan.com. If you're asking about Rick Venturi, his return Thursday, I believe Thursday at 4.30, James. I was talking to Rick yesterday. Rick Venturi back on the show I'm assuming Thursday. I know that we – I, I kind of want to get, and I don't know when the hell it's going to be. I want to hear from Chris Ballard before we, we get into Rick, so I, I'm not sure. I would assume Thursday, but I don't know if Chris is going to go later on this week or next week. So we shall see. Hey, by the way, Golf Expo, let's give away those passes right now. State Fairgrounds, if you love golf – it's the uh, Indiana Golf Expo. Shout out to my man Ted Bishop down at uh, Legends and Franklin, as always, too. All of you that got those great two-year membership deals. Now you can win a pair of tickets to go to the Golf Expo and gear up. Number nine at 239-1070. Yeah, on the road coming up on Thursday, our Larceny Bourbon Locks and Luna's Will Tequila Shots at Parks Place. Matt Sleater and the gang up there. The Mats. We're in Fisher's Parks Place. That is coming up on Thursday. Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline right now. Uh, SI and so much more. Hardcore covers the Pacers, and it was a hell of an interesting night last night, certainly for Tony Easton and company, who joins us now. All right, so we got the news. Uh, you had it, and obviously Adrian Wojnarowski had it a little bit earlier today. Should Pacer fans, like, dial down the angst a little bit and, and feel good about this injury situation, or should you, because of past situations, remain a little bit skeptical? <laughs> because we've been down this path before. Can you blame the fan base for having a not whatsoever? None. I mean, I, I talked about this yesterday. So, so to answer the question you're asking me, you got to feel better now, right? Like it is the best case scenario of all the bad scenarios, even though it's still not great. You know, they're going on a tough road trip. Their January schedule is rough and they're going to be missing their best player for at least seven games. Uh, but I mean, the parallels with 2018 with Oladipo, I mean, Slipping under the same basket, right? Being down on the floor, getting carried off by teammates at first. He had a stretch, of course. The towel being thrown over the guy. The Pacers somehow winning the game where it happened because some role guys have awesome games against a really good team in January for an ascending team. I mean, it, it was so weird how similar it all felt to me, but this one has a much better outcome for the Pacers than that one did. Yeah, I I just I immediately thought here's one thing. I was I was torn because I thought the worst and I thought in terms of Oladipo or then Paul George and that, you know, that summer Olympic game. Those are the two things that popped into my mind and then I thought when he was carried off, I was hoping that we would get good news later and it it would turn out to be like a Paul Pierce moment where he got in a wheelchair but then everything quickly was okay. Does that make sense? He just had to go to the 
them in a stretch they had to string out, right? That's yeah. That's, that's how it happened. Yeah, it was like during the game you almost won an update, but what can you even get before an MRI? You know, so you just had to sit there in limbo the whole time too. It was, it's just how it was. But again, give the history of the Pacers. Yeah, I, I tell you what. Hang on, Tony, really quick. Put Tony on hold because his phone's kind of cutting out. I want to make sure everybody hears what you have to say right here because we got a little bit more regarding Tyrese Halliburton, as Tony mentioned to him, we've talked about so far today. You get Washington tomorrow at Cambridge Fieldhouse and then get a long-termer going out west. That begins in, of all places, Atlanta. But as I I mentioned earlier, you've got that back-to-back between Denver in the afternoon on Sunday and then Salt Lake City with the Utah Jazz at 9 o'clock on Monday. That is historically a very difficult back-to-back right there. Among the back-to-backs, that is at the top of the list. I want to make sure Tony and his connection is good enough so you can hear him right here. Rotationally speaking, where the Pacers go and a lot more. And uh, welcome back from SI and more. Tony East, who covers the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Um so two weeks evaluation. I had mentioned somebody had said tread water a little bit earlier. This is survival mode because we saw what happened yep. last year when Halliburton got injured. This whole thing went right in the toilet and got flushed. Just survival mode. Is this team good enough, especially embarking on this West Coast trip after tomorrow night? Are they good enough to survive this time without him? So uh, I I think they're better than last year. Right. Last year he got hurt. What they lose seven in a row and then survived against the Bulls by two or three to break that streak. You know that they they really struggled with that in last year. This year's team is clearly better. Right. Neesmith is better. Matherin's better. All the vets are at least the same. Right. They've got the ability to hold up just from that, and they also have Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, which they didn't last year. Right. You need proof of concept that they're better with than last year without them. They won last night, right? Like their second half did go well still. And their and their net rating without him this year is better than last year, right? So numerically, at least they're better equipped to survive him. That said, I still think they're probably a below average team without him. And you already mentioned their schedule coming up is brutal. They play the Wizards tomorrow. They really need to win that one. Then they have a, a West Coast swing and a road game in Atlanta. And then they come home with Denver, Philly, Phoenix. So yeah. their next, you know, 10, they've got one and a half easy ones. And, and the half one's Portland, which is a road back-to-back. And Portland already beat the Pacers this season. So, I mean, treading well, I, I think if you can still be over 500 by the time Halliburton returns, I think you're happy for the Pacers. And I think they can do it. But it will be hard because their schedule is tough and, you know, they have a you know four and six nights with two back to backs on this road trip, and their opponents are tough. But they just never get a break. Their January is rough, and they've done well to bank these wins in their last eight games. But without Albert, it's going to be way harder. So. Yes, treading water is the perfect way to put it. If they can be over 500 by the time he returns, I think they've got to take that. Yeah, and the players will tell you, too, the toughest of the back-to-backs in the NBA is mountain time zones, Denver yeah. to Utah right there. And they got yeah. that on a Sunday afternoon in Denver with the defending champions. And then a Utah team that all of a sudden is getting a little bit hot right here at 9 o'clock on Monday night. Best record in the NBA over the last 10 games, the Utah Jazz. Where did that come from? Hmm. It's, so, it's so random. So. Yeah, Washington's winnable, uh, but they have already lost to the Wizards with Halliburton. And you, I would have said Utah's winnable, but maybe not. They beat Atlanta twice already this year, but, I mean, again, without Tyrese, it's all challenging. And then they get no breaks. It's all back-to-backs and tough opponents. So 
They're going to need to be uh, – until they play Memphis on the 28th with Moran out for the season now, basically between the Washington game and then they have no gimme. So any win they get, even an ugly 105-104 win, they've got to take it and never let it go. That's, that's the situation they're in now. So Tony Easter joins us talking Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Have you allowed yourself to think about when you would hard target a Halliburton return? Hard target? I don't know that I can give a for sure date. I mean, the only thing I could add beyond a reevaluation is he's talked a lot about how excited he was for their TNT game, right? Their only scheduled one before the season where the Pacers are on national TV. Now, of course, they got the full in-season tournament bracket run with three extra games, but at Boston on the 30th is that game. They're on TNT. Halliburton was very much looking forward to it. That is exactly three weeks from today. So if he's reevaluated in two weeks and still needs a little ramp up or to get reintegrated at home, you know, maybe he returns in that Philly, Phoenix, Memphis home stand, but just so he can be back for the TNT game, maybe he just returns in Boston. Who knows? I don't even know if it's possible that he could return that quickly after the reevaluation. You look at these hamstring grade one strains and there's not a wide range, but you know, not an obvious reevaluation time. Two to three weeks is generally kind of what it looks like. So I would imagine by the end of the month there's a chance, but you just never know. Muscles think he has forward kind of I'm circling I can guess right now, but that's it. It's a guess. Uh, Tony East with us. Hey, make sure again his phone is okay. Tony, you may just have to stay in one spot here for the next couple of minutes because you're not you're, moving at all. I think when you, I think when you move around, things go a little bit haywire. And I'm assuming we know, rotationally speaking, who is going to try to at least in his spot pick up the slack. You talked about Andrew Nimhart and others. Uh, we saw last night again the level of importance that T.J. McConnell is with this young team in terms of creating enthusiasm and opportunities for it. We saw that again last night. So, rotationally speaking, I'm, I'm assuming we know the direction in which this is going for Rick Carlisle. Yeah, I think what you saw in the second half last night is the expectation, at least that I have, right? Andrew Nemhard started in Halberd's place in that second half, and that means their starting five is basically the best possible defensive five that the Pacers have, which is Nemhard, Smith, Brown, Jalen Smith, and Miles Turner. And then at least you can have some identity and some hope of success with that group, even with Halberton out, and then your bench would be you know, you have Buddy Heald and Obi Toppin operating as your shooters, and they both shot well last night. And then McConnell and um, and Matherin acting as your kind of attackers or score types, and they both did well in that role last night. So I think that kind of makes sense as your rotation with Isaiah Jackson being your bench five as your ten guys who play. And all those lineups make sense. You have some cohesion. Maybe you try to stagger Brown and Nemhard in some way to keep a combo of creation and defense on the floor as much as you can. But I think you saw the blueprint last night. You can't replicate Hal Burton's passing and shooting combination. So maybe they lean a little more into Heald and Toppin and Neesmith just to get as much shooting on the floor as possible. But I think they might try to opt for as much defense as they can just to try to make it so their margin for error offensively is a little wider. Is the fact that uh, Walker is not getting any minutes whatsoever, is that more about where he is right now or more about those and to the level on which they're playing in front of him? Both uh, is my bad answer, but you know, if Obi Toppin was 30, for example, I think Jairus Walker might be playing, 
The problem is, you know, the guys in front of him are also young, right? Aaron Neesmith is 23. Obi Toppin is 25. The guys they have playing at the 3-4, even with the second unit, are young already. So they're kind of growing and developing those guys as well, which makes it a little harder to just throw Jarris Walker in and figure out exactly, you know, where he can play. And so I think he is behind those guys in terms of what his impact could be right now. And I don't usually expect rookies to do anything of significance on the defensive end anyway. So his passing's nice. He shot it well in the G League and even in the pros recently. But I think we'll have to kind of see where you know he he could have an impact in the pros. He's only played over 15 minutes, I think, three times, twice in the pros. But I just I just think that they have young options. His position is more so the hurdle than anything he's done wrong just because if they're in development mode and winning mode at the same time, they have options to do that. And he is not one of the best options to do so. He has uh, Tony East who joins us. Uh, SI and more. He covers the Pacers with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So did you guys at the game last night, did you uh, write a column and celebrate the fact that the first time ever the Pacers got preferential treatment with officiating because there is no way in the world I felt that that was going to get overturned. And really uh, in a world of official reviews that if there is just the smallest of glimpse that will justify that call, they will go with the call on the floor. I could not believe it last night in that moment that was overturned. You agree? Yeah, I thought you're talking about the Buddy Hill block. Yeah, sorry, uh, right? Jalen Brown. Yeah. Yes, yes, 100% agree. I thought, like, I get why. I mean, obviously, you challenge it no matter what, just because there's no yeah. harm at that point of the game. And funnily enough, like, I'll get to this in a second. You know, I, I thought, well, like you, that the contact with the back of Brown's head, even if it was at the same time or after or whatever, the block doesn't matter. I thought that would be enough for them to just keep it as a foul and he'd go to the line. I was pretty surprised. And then. Joe Missoula and Buddy Heald kind of both suddenly were like, yeah, you know, maybe it was a foul. And, and I think Missoula said that Buddy Heald told him that, right, after the yeah. game and said, yeah. went up to him and said, hey, I might have fouled him. But they, they overturned it, and the Pacers were, you know, this is always a weird part of that. Like, the whistle blows, but if you grab that rebound, which the Pacers did, they have possession now coming out of the challenge, right? So really significant swing. And then obviously Matherin got fouled himself. The lesser discussed part of this is like, Let's pretend Brown made both. Mather and Stone had three shots to win, right? So it's not like that was the decider. It obviously had a massive impact on the end of the game. I'm not going to deny that. But it was a very, you know, very rarely do those get overturned in those moments. And I understand, like the angst with injuries, Pacers fans being very surprised that a call like that went in their favor. I thought that that was more obvious than the Aaron Neesmith foul of Brown on that three-point shot. So, and, and, and I understand why that got called too, because he he got off balance, and even with his arms behind his back, he was on the lean with his chest right there. Um, and while I think you know I don't like the call because that's these calls these guys get, I certainly expected to be whistled. But I thought that that to me, I thought the it was it was more obvious with the, the back of the head of Jalen Brown than it was even on that call. Yeah, it, that Neesmith one was weird because I think they were calling the landing space one really on that because he jumped across the line. But, yeah, he had his hands behind his back. Like, it was so bang-bang, it was hard to tell. And they had the flagrant in the first half. I believe Matherin was the the committer of that foul. And he swung through in a block and, and got Brown in the head. And they called that one a flagrant, right? So, like, the head contact coming through the block had been called a flagrant earlier in that game, right? So, a lot of 
confusion, and I tweeted this during the game. You know, you watched the whole game. I think that's the most travels I've seen called in any <laughs> NBA game I've watched this whole season, yep. right? Like, there were at least five or six, so there was a lot of whistles and a lot of <laughs> head-scratching, confusing ones that I suppose by the letter of the law are what they called but are typically just not things you see in it. It just made it a little different, even though the Pacers are certainly happy with how it ended, and Still no last two minutes report from last night's game. I am looking forward to it. We, that. you know, normally we loathe that, but <laughs> given the circumstances of last night, Tony, I think we're going to be very happy to see the outcome of it regardless, too. And you know what? We got a three-second call, not a defensive three-second call, but a legitimate three-second in the lane call with Jalen Brown kind of stuck with Miles shutting him down right there in the lane. Yeah. Another one you don't see very yes. much, right? Like, just it kept stacking up. I thought they – didn't they call – or no, this might have been their game before. Yeah, the, the prior Celtics game, they called Halliburton for one of those lane violations where you sneak in too early on the free throw. Like, <laughs> heck, I thought they were going to call the Pacers for one of those out-of-bounds where after a make, they don't get all the way out before they inbound. You know, no one ever seems to care about that because it doesn't matter. But, heck, yeah. they, were, they were calling everything else to a team. Why not do that one? Hey, too? forget about the over – you had back-to-back over-and-back calls last night too. <laughs> <laughs> if you've heard of a call before, they called it in that game. <laughs> you know, and the best part about it, watching it, was um, when Porzingis fouled Matherin and, and Chris Denary on the broadcast kept saying, that's a three-shot foul, that's a three-shot foul. I thought Quinn was going to put him in a headlock because Quinn didn't want to hear about it. He didn't really care at the moment. But really, <laughs> really, in Chris's defense, that didn't matter in and the strategy that Rick chose to go with instead of making all three, yet giving Boston the opportunity to call a timeout, advance the ball, and, you know, be able to to get a shot off, you know, he chose to go with missing that third and then having, you know, just the opportunity to tip it, which, by the way, Cornette got that up on the rim. That was very close anyway. Yeah, I don't know if you could see this on the broadcast or not, but in the arena after the third one where he missed it and the Celtics rebounded, Aaron Neesmith came out on the floor and was like trying to show him how to spin it and throw it up at the rim so it bounces farther away (laughs) so you can tip it instead of calling a timeout, which was pretty funny. So I didn't actually notice at the time that they were going for the intentional miss until I saw them teaching each other how to do it correctly, which make with .6 to go, you know, your odds of losing on a full court tip are so low. Uh, versus .6 left, letting the team, you know, call a timeout and have a chance to tie on the three. I think you're probably happy with that probability play, but when you're up two and they get the timeout, then you're at the mercy of the the cornet miracle, which, man, was that close. Man, that <laughs> thing <laughs> danced on the rim for a moment. The thing that concerned me more than anything else was a foul call. You know, given how that game had gone and really gone against late Boston, I thought if you are going oh. to get some sort of whistle, this is going to be the time in which you're going to get it. What are the odds? As we're speaking, the last two minutes reported out. Let's see. What's All there. right. Well, go through it for us right here. Let's celebrate it. <laughs> had to say uh, about Buddy Heald saying, oh, they, okay, the correct no call. Uh, this is hard to say. This is a very long explanation. <laughs> it's hard to say, but it looks like they say correct no call as it uh, as it stands. So I believe that they think they got it correctly. As wow. the rule book makes clear, the mere fact that contact occurs does not necessarily constitute a foul. All right, there we go. They they say that that was correct. Man, anything though, any anything above the shoulders is always can't miss. It seems in the NBA now. Oh, 
the the call on Porzingis was actually incorrect. Oh, really? He contests Matherin's shot attempt with some incidental arm contact. Wow. <laughs> Uh, well, that, that still that makes me feel good. That, I think that that's the only, yeah, the only incorrect call of the report is actually that that should not have been called a foul. Wow. Wow. That is, <laughs> that's good stuff. I, I don't know if everybody enjoys that, but this may be the first time I've enjoyed the final two-minute report <laughs> of any Pacer game right here. <laughs> they, they and man, did they need that win, right? Like, for, for all the time for them to be graced by the, the basketball gods. Yeah, you know, when, you, when your star gets hurt and you've got that schedule coming up, that's when you need it for morale, and they got it. They needed it. So Tony East, who joins us, the other thing I pointed out at the beginning of the show, we, we've seen it, too, with the salty nature of the Bucks losing four or five, and now we've seen it a little bit with the Celtics. Are we seeing the Pacers now, obviously with Hal Burton, it's expedited, but are we seeing the Pacers now growing into a challenging team that teams really truly do care about. And I thought, again, the Bucks and the Celtics most recently have been, I think, very good examples of the direction and the threat that teams around the NBA now perceive the Pacers to be. Is that fair? I think so. You know, and, and you're right that you know, Jalen Brown was very frustrated last night, but we've seen fan bases get frustrated with playing the Pacers, I think part of it is the style difficult, right? Like, and you, you know, you've watched every game this team's played. Like, they can beat anybody, right? But when you're the Celtics and you've lost seven games the whole season and two of them are to the Pacers, or you're the Bucks and prior to their current poo-poo level, you've lost ten games all season and four of them are to the Pacers, right? You're like, dang, I hate those guys, right? Like, we, we can't beat them and we can beat anybody else. I think that part of it is just naturally that everyone's surprised at this team that you know, it's tied for eighth in the East, can beat anybody. If you're a fan of the team, it's infuriating to play that kind of style. In terms of what it means to the Pacers specifically, right, they talked about this last year, you know, that their random fast-paced style makes them hard to scout, right, on a game-to-game basis, and that's less difficult when Halberton's out. But, you know, if you're an opposing team and, and you show up for a game and you're like a little tired and you're not up for, you know, this one of 82, well, good luck. Because if you're not focused or ready to run, you're not going to have very much fun playing the Pacers. And that can be frustrating when all night they're just coming at you and scoring 130 whatever points. So I think that's sometimes frustrating for players. I think their style is difficult to deal with on a night-to-night basis. And when you can beat anybody but also lose to anybody, it is a little annoying if you're the Celtics and you've lost to them twice. Hey, Tony, before I let you go, um, this is a byproduct, I guess, of the Halliburton injury and whatever the timing is going to end up being. And really, I'd kind of lost a thought that the Pacers were going to do anything prior to the trade deadline. But what does this injury, if anything at all, do for that thought? For Pacer fans, or just the Pacers in general, the possibility that they do something prior to the NBA trade deadline? Yeah, you know, I, I actually have a bad, like a not fun answer, and that's kind of depends how they do with them out, right? Because, let, like right now, they're – I just said they're tied for eighth, but really fourth through eighth in the East is all dead tied, right? If they do awesome with Halbert out and he returns on January 30th and they're still in fourth and they look great, maybe you're more willing to invest in the team this year, right? Because you know that if you make one upgrade, you're going to be in the playoffs and that's going to be valuable for your young players and you're ready to take important steps forward as, as the Pacers. And let's say he's out for eight or nine games and they go two and seven and they're under 500 and they're firmly in eighth then maybe you're not as willing to make those upgrades and you're just kind of hoping you get 
in as the seven or eight seed and it can get that experience with your young guys anyway. So I think it can change their trade deadline plans if things go poorly or really well. But as it stands right now, I think that you kind of just have to see the results because currently I think that a minor upgrade makes a lot of sense just given the state of the East and how the Pacers have been playing and maybe a major upgrade if the price is right. But they are fortunate that they have a month to kind of see how this goes and what makes sense for them because it could certainly significantly change their plans. What do you think their lean might be with Buddy in mind? Uh, knowing his his contract situation and and such, uh, is there any effect? And I, I guess we can also factor in, maybe not as much, but how he fits in. And this is part of what I believe and why I don't believe they're going to do anything. I think compared to what is at least what we know about Tony right now that Mark might be available on the market. I, I don't know that you want to upset the growth of the rest of this team to mess with any of that, especially at the price tag that it would take. Now, maybe something else pops up unbeknownst to us right now that makes a lot more sense, but I, I'm moving further and further away, I guess, of anything right now in which we've been made aware of making any sense. Yeah, it's it's really tricky. Like I think, to a lesser extent, you got to think about this with Warren and Toppin as well. But every expiring contract, you have to sort of think about what you're going to do with it, right? We we were having you and I were having this discussion last year with Miles Turner. Yeah, and that of course that of course ended much differently, and that could happen again, right? They have cap space and could renegotiate and extend Buddy Hield again. Maybe that happens under the wire. But you know, it's very interesting that that we're they're in this position again and. It kind of will say a lot about their future and their cap space plans, depending on how they decide to do this. But with Heald, Toppin, and Wara, that's three expiring contracts of guys that, you know, in theory, you could lose them this summer. They have restricted free agency to keep Toppin, but maybe that's an attractive trade package at the same time. And then it's guys you were going to lose anyway, and you get something you like. So if I'm running a team that isn't, you know, for sure getting home quarter has a chance to win a series, then I always am thinking about what I can get for my expirings. But the Pacers maybe can win a series, right? They're, they're currently tied for fourth in the East. So it's not that easy for them to just say they should sell off stuff at this stage. But I think they do have to be thinking about, especially now that Tyrese is hurt, what this is all going to look like and how they can assess the market because Heald could have some value as a shooter. Even though the shot hasn't been falling this year. You know, they, that, that's how the Pacers have to think. They said before the season they still have that long-term thinking in mind. So as weird as it is, you know, they, they have to think that way, even if they're winning at the level they are. Hey, Tony, how close are they for making up for those egregious early season home losses right now? The reason why I bring that up is because uh, Washington on the road certainly would be one of those egregious losses. How close are they making up for that? Uh, I think they have. Honestly, the stretch they just had where they won six in a row, including two against Milwaukee, and they won in Houston, and they beat the Knicks, albeit with some caveats, and they just beat the Celtics like, that makes that alone <laughs> makes up for it. Like in my preseason schedule predictions, I had them winning two of that stretch from Chicago to the Boston game they just played, and they won all but one of those games. So, it, I mean, obviously they could easily just say, "Well, if we just won, you know, if we just beat Portland and Charlotte, we were twenty-three and thirteen, right? We're ten games over five hundred. But I think they've done enough to make up for that and kind of show that they're better than those losses, even though they. Certainly, you know, six of their 21 wins are against Boston and Milwaukee have had some high-level play against the top of the East right now. Tony East with the latest on the final two-minute report. And once again, what's interesting (laughs) is that the review, the call was made accurate. The uh, 
call that was wrong, evidently, in the final two-minute report is that Porzingis foul that created three shot attempts and the winning margin for the Pacers last night in the final seconds of that game. Amazing. Finally, a two-minute report that I'm ready to read and happy about. Incredible. It, it's crazy to see. It's very rarely the case. SI Pacers, Forbes Sports, WTHR.com, Locked On Pacers, Tony East on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Stay in touch, man. I appreciate you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Tony East on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I can't imagine if ever I've ever been happy with the final two-minute report with the Pacers in mind. This may be the first. Quick break. We shall return the city and certainly us in radio, but the city, longtime listeners of radio in this market, we lost a significant piece, a radio legend yesterday. And uh, it, it's something if you hear Mike Wells and I do our thing going into the four o'clock every Friday, it's something with love and honor we have always recognized with the slow jam reentry. And uh, we'll pay our respects to that loss with the reentry coming up next. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Let me have a Diablo sandwich, a Dr. Pepper, make it fast. I'm in a damn hurry. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back. I wanted to recognize the passing yesterday and the sad news yesterday of one of the iconic voices of all time in Indianapolis. I'm assuming most of you have heard, if you have not, he was known on the air as the lover man, Jerry Wade. One of the most recognizable faces and voices in Indianapolis media history. Iconic for decades around here. The quiet storm, the lover man, Jerry Wade, 40 years, actually 40 years plus, And Jerry passed away yesterday, and we want to send our condolences to his family, his friends, and certainly our family here at Radio One and Urban One, because he was a part of our family and noted for so many decades of doing The Quiet Storm, weekday, I should say weeknights on WTLC, And when you hear Mike Wells and I do the the Friday 4 o'clock slow jam re-entry, that has always been to honor Jerry Wade. Because I have, even before we merged um, radio stations with this company, I had been a huge listener and a huge fan of WTLC. And that that was one of the voices that you know helped create my love for radio and especially in this market. And I love the quiet storm. 
And that's something that Mike Wells and I do every every Friday at four, and it's always been in honor of Jerry. And unfortunately, yesterday we we learn the news of his passing. And again, I want to send our condolences out to his family and his friends. I was actually uh, down in the lobby a little bit earlier, and I saw I saw Aunt Paris, I saw um, uh, Swift from uh, Hot 109. And uh, we were talking about just the lasting impression that Jerry left in this community and on the radio here. And it is it is something that is not going to be made up. He was that iconic here. And I want to send out our condolences again to the lover man, Jerry Wade and his family and friends. Jerry passed away yesterday. And uh, this is a great voice. I just love the quiet storm. I, mean, I talk about all the time those slow jams, like the mood-creating music. It was always, and every Friday we've done it for I don't know how many years when Mike has been on with me. I think this goes back years and years in honor of Jerry. So uh, we're thinking about everybody here, certainly, and the uh, family and friends. Of the late Jerry Wade, the lover man, WTLC, and then the quiet storm. Incredibly meaningful radio in this market for decades. Sad day it is. All right. Thank you for being a part of the show so far. Greg Craig saw a little bit earlier. We talked to Tony East just now, and certainly Brad Spielberger of PFF. Back in the 4 o'clock hour podcast with each 1075thefan.com. If you're asking, Rick Venturi is scheduled to join us at 4.30 coming up on Thursday. You always love the breakdown of how the season went for the Colts with Rick. 4.30 coming up on Thursday. And again, that's our Larceny Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots. We're going to be at Parks Place in Fishers with Brent Halverson and the Mats coming up on Thursday. And again, Rick Venturi in the 4 o'clock hour on that Thursday. Meantime, 239-1070 is the number. Let's get to Paul coming up next. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm doing just fine, JMV. Yourself? Paul, fantastic to hear from you. Yeah. Go ahead. Hey, man, um, first off, I love the show, man. I listen every day. Thank you, Paul. But, um, man, I wanted to touch on the uh, on the McConnell stuff to agree with you first off. Man, I love him. I hope we keep him. Uh, no matter what, he's always a spark off the bench, giving us that energy that we need, especially like last night. You know what I mean? Yes, you needed that. That's a difference. He makes difference-making plays. He gives you extra possessions. And with a team that scores at that volume and a league that scores at that volume, that is highly valuable. Exactly. Um, but really what I wanted to call about was uh, with that late foul call, man, and LeBron crying about it, man. He's always got to find something to cry about with the NBA if uh, they're not doing what he wants or making the calls he wants, man. It's like you said, let us have this. We always get screwed by the call. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let us have it for once. But other than that, the block got made. And then the contact yeah. after the block, you know what I mean? Right. So by rule, that's supposed to be let go Yeah, anyway. touch ball first and then contact with the head is how they ended up ruling right. on and that. And then I guess surprisingly enough, they ended up ruling that the Porzingis foul call was inaccurate. Yeah, that was crazy, man. I, I <laughs> kind of disagree with that one just for the simple fact he had his hands over him the whole time. So, yeah, of course, when he released, there's going to be contact, you know, but – 
what do I know, man? I'm just a fan that watches on the regular, you know. No, I, I listen, right I was happy. It was the first time in a long time it felt like the Pacers were the beneficiaries of a call like that. Normally, it has always felt like going back decades that they were on the other end of it. Oh, yeah. That last night felt good. It was oh, a good yeah. moment. Yes, it was. Yes, it was, man. Couldn't have been happier for him, man. You got it. Anything else, Paul? Um, no, man. Just uh, you have a great day. Uh, all the listeners out there, hopefully y'all have a great day. Everybody be careful in this mess we got out here. <laughs> you got it, buddy. You call any time, Paul. Thank you for the call. Nah, he's right. I, I just said is this. There are a lot of signs pointing to a much quicker evolution and the positive for this team. And I know that, you know, obviously some of the steam is taken out with the Halliburton injury. But I mentioned the Tony East, the salty nature of two of the NBA and certainly the Eastern Conference best in Bucks and Celtics. And then the Pacers getting a call. And actually, in this case, getting two calls, they get an overturn that a call that was accurate in the first place that we thought was never going to be overturned at the moment. And they were the beneficiaries of a call that the NBA says in the last two-minute report was inaccurate. And that was the Porzingis foul that was whistled against Benedict Matherin, who hit two of the three free throws, and the third he missed purposely, and that was your margin of victory. Listen, if it's happened, it hadn't happened often. So good for the Pacers and good for you, the fans. Fulton is up next at 239-1070. Hello, Fulton. Hello, JMV. How are you this evening? Hey, buddy, you okay? Yep, doing all right. What are we, what are we doing? My, uh, what, what's the basketball like, plan this week? What do we got? Well, I just got the schedule. Um, so we have um, Taylor University on February 10th. Yeah. But we don't know what time it's going to be. Okay. Um, and then we don't know about the other games, but we have practice this fr- uh, next Friday. And then I'll be having my 25th birthday next Saturday. Happy birthday coming up. Hey, by the way, if I attend one of your practices, am I going to be allowed to shoot around? Um, will your coach let me do? Will your coach let me do that? Because I listen, I can't go into a gym and spend that much time without putting a couple of shots up here, man. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> I would try to talk to my coach and see if you can come. Thank you, and, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. You got it. All right. You keep keep me in mind whenever I can make it to a game or a practice, and make sure you ask your coach. Make sure I can get a couple of shots up when I show up. Okay. I I sure will, JMV. Thank you, Fulton. Always good to hear from Fulton. We saw him at Crafters last Thursday in Carmel. That's weird. Like my daughter plays tonight for CG against Franklin. It I, it's tough for me to go to one of those games. I want to go down there and get some shots up. It's tough in a variety of ways. <laughs> Not just that way, but a variety of ways. It's difficult. It's like it's almost. And I remember this going through this with Mark, Mark Patrick, back in the days over at NDE when he would go and watch Drew friend of the show, Drew Storen, where he would be playing in, you know, sixth or seventh or eighth grade basketball and he'd leave and go watch. I'm almost glad that I've got to stay here and I'm not watching. You know what I mean? It's almost better off if I don't. And not because I go haywire and act like a fool or anything like that. It's just almost like better. And I've, I've realized over the years, 
for my daughter, it's just better off if I'm just, hey, go get him like the hype guy. That's how it was when I coached her team back in the fall. Like the awesome Sarah was the coach, and I was just like the hype guy. I was like the Michael Bivens. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like Arsenio. Woo, woo, woo. That was me. And then I would say, hey, get in the stance, follow your shot, block out. You know, all, all of what you would normally say anyway without coaching them up. I'd call out screens. They love me for calling out because half the time I don't think they knew what I was saying. Be like, hey, Haley, right. I'd be yelling right or left, and they what? What are you talking about? I'd be calling out screens. All right, quick one. We'll come back. If you're on hold, I'll get to you. Close out this show coming up next. Again, on Thursday on the road, I'll explain. Um, good news, I guess, considering what we thought last night regarding Tyrese Halliburton. And uh, Jim Irsay was announced by the Colts earlier today. A severe upper respiratory situation. And uh, we'll continue to follow that story. So hopefully everything's going to be okay, obviously, moving forward with the owner of the Colts, Jim Irsay. That news came out earlier today. Big news in the NFL is, for whatever reason, the Titans decided to part with Mike Vrabel. So I'm assuming immediately on a lot of lists, he goes close to near the top of that list. But a change, a shakeup within the AFC South with that in mind. That and more to close out the show coming up next. Inside the AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live. Thank you for being a part of that. And 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. We have the Holy Hand Grenade. Yes, of course. The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. Right. One, two, five. Please, uh, three. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Triple A membership lounge via YouTube Live. And again, remember more than obviously what I talked about here, just travel. Thinking about inclement weather and road conditions, Triple A is always your go to and a proud sponsor, the Triple A membership lounge via YouTube Live. Seven o'clock on Peacock, of course, downstairs, 93 WIBC. In fact, Don Fisher, John Herrick, and Eric Soar, about seven minutes away from IU basketball pregame. It's IU at 11 and 4, 3 and 1 of the Big Ten on the road at the Jersey Mike's Arena. Jersey Mike's. I don't mind Jersey Mike's. I know we all like to go local often, but I don't mind Jersey Mike's. I got to try this Griner's place. This is Griner's off of Shelby. I think somebody drove a car into Griner's like a couple of years ago, but I heard really good things about the sandwiches at Griner's. I've never been to Griner's. I've also never been to Shapiro's either. Oh, Shapiro's be, is so legit, so might good. Be not great for me. Love the cafeteria thing. <laughs> I, I've always in. And if anybody else has been around here as long as I have, you probably have equated one and the other together, too. I've always wanted to go down their cafeteria line like John Belushi did in Animal House and just, like, grab stuff off of every level and, like, stick it in my pockets and eat it and put it back up there and just, like, stack my tray. Anybody else ever want to go down the line at Shapiro's cafeteria and do it like John Belushi did? An animal house, I've always thought about that. 
We have to go sometime, maybe for lunch. Oh, Shapiro's is good. That sounds good right now, brother. That, tell you. I've seen pictures oh, of man. the sandwiches, and they look Holy really shit. good. Shit. Go down to the line. <laughs> like John Belushi at Animal House. Yeah, I mentioned IU Rutgers tonight at 7 o'clock. Television-wise, you got to have Peacock or you're screwed. And then to watch Purdue, number one ranked Purdue and 12 and 3 Nebraska tonight at 9 o'clock. That is also a Peacock game from the Pinnacle Bank Arena in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska is better. So all the games of the Big Ten tonight feature both IU and Purdue. IU Rutgers on Peacock and 93 WIBC coming up at 7. Boilermakers, number one, Purdue and Nebraska. I'm going to get Matt Painter on either at the end of the week or on Monday. I'm not sure prior to the first meeting this season of IU and Purdue, but I'll get Matt on for everybody, too. And remember, Braden Smith joined us last week in a really good conversation as well. Podcast is up. If you missed that, at 107.5thefan.com. Big show today. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, pegged. The Colts and the Texans last Tuesday, we talked about that and a lot of things with Brad a little bit earlier to Tony East of SI and more. The Tyrese Halliburton injury, the impact here, and the length of time that he would suggest beyond what has been reported at two weeks and then an evaluation. Tony East, Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Greg Rakestraw, too. Great job from you, James. Back tomorrow with you right here at 3. Do not miss a moment. Thanks for listening. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Have a great night.